I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful with my sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Watson. We're live on YouTube recapping round one, Sam. Live again. Live again. We've been live. We're live again. Special thanks to everybody that already watched the show, whether it was here on the YouTube channel, on Fubo TV, Yahoo Sports, whatever it was. But tell your friends, we're live right now. We're going to recap all of the round one action. And the show will be back tomorrow. Yeah, the show's again live tomorrow. At uh, 6.45. 6.45, yep. 7 o'clock draft start, 6.45 start to do day three. We'll kick Chris out, bring in Seth Galina. Kick him out. And uh, rec- and we'll just go through all the picks like we did tonight. So let's go through it, man. Any uh, big surprises? Where do you want to start with the round one stuff? So we had a request. I'm going to pitch this to you and see what you think. We had a request from somebody, or I had a request from somebody who said, they are in one of those foreign time zones that they're not staying up till God knows what hour of the night to watch the draft. So the first thing they know about the draft is listening to our first round recap show. So their request was essentially for us to go through pick by pick rather than to start off and say, you know, Winners, what losers. Was favorite? Well, yeah. it was this pick that happened to 29 and then you, the whole draft is out of order. Yeah, let's, now, let's that being said, for anyone that did watch the draft, which is presuming most people, that might not be the best thing. I think it might be a good way to do it. Let's relive the draft. We'll talk about everything that happened at the time. Let's relive it. <laughs> Let's just go through the last four hours again. Yes. We'll just great. crank a four-hour world into uh, our, our podcast. It's great. Perfect. So Bryce Young, number one overall to the Carolina Panthers. This was expected. After that, nothing that happened was expected. Yes. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's where all the drama was. We Everyone kind of knew. Number one, Bryce Young's going to go then what the hell is going to happen number two and the funny thing is it's like all these rumors that the texans were going to trade back from number two not take a quarterback uh draft the best defensive player on the board do whatever um the the last couple of weeks have been like an assassination campaign on cj stroud's uh draft stock we'd heard that he dissed the manning academy we'd heard that he scored abysmally in the S2 cognition scores and then it was Will Levis being the favorite for number two or could it be you know Anthony Richardson would it just be a defender and then they end up just picking CJ Stroud anyway and then trading back to number three so they did what people were talking about which is get Will Anderson and the quarterback only they did it the other way around which I think is the right way of doing it they took the quarterback and then tried to get a deal done with Arizona to move back up which I think is smarter than having taken the best defensive player, and then said, hey, we want to come back up for a quarterback, which automatically just puts a 20% premium on the asking price. Okay, I, I was pretty harsh to the Texans on the live show. Yes. If, if they had done that for the quarterback, if, so they, if they had picked Will Anderson at two right. and then traded up for C.J. Stroud per PFF rules, would I say, oh, that's okay. Give up whatever you need yeah. for the quarterback. But – but that's not the reality, man. Well, the so reality you, is they, they, they already had the pick to select the quarterback. They did that. They got C.J. Stroud at two. And then, in a completely separate decision, <laughs> they decided to move from 12 to three. And here's what happened. 
Are, are we are we going to talk about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, or do we want to get right into how well, they got on, Will let's, Anderson? Let's talk through the, the Texans thing first. Um, I think it is fair, though. Your point is, fine, is, is reasonable, that um, it is a separate move. You can't sort of treat it like, what if they just did it for the quarterback? Then it would make sense. But what if you combine the two and say, look, they wanted to do this package deal where they come out of the – first round because remember they they pick at number two they pick at number 12 they want to come out of the first round with both a quarterback and will anderson so at that point your options are take will anderson at two hope a quarterback lasts till 12 pick whichever one's available which in this case would have been will levis the end right or pick will anderson at two trade up grab a quarterback at whatever that costs you or do the way they did, which is pick the quarterback, trade back up for Will Anderson. So most of those dynamics involve trading back up. But if you net out the thing and say it's for two players, that's the deal. Like the two players cost you the two picks plus the trade collateral, as opposed to Will Anderson cost you that. It might be a more reasonable or more fair way of breaking it down. Yeah, for I mean, the difference is they already owned a pick two. Because your point is – Using the, the information would say if you trade up for any position that isn't a quarterback, it's effectively bad, right? Because you're never going to get the value back. But if you trade up for the quarterback, you can because a quarterback is worth so much more than any other position in terms of contributing to wins on the field. But the only difference between the way that the Texans did it and the other way is it's effectively arbitrary, right? Either way they're trading – it's just which play, which order they took the players. So it's, you, you have to look at it in both, you know, with, you have to combine the moves, essentially. Now, nah, you tried to do that with the Eagles last year, and I thought that was a fair... <laughs> you did the whole combine the moves thing with the, uh, the Dolphins or something when they traded back and then traded up. And I, and I think that was a fair point because their starting point was they didn't have these picks, and then they earned them, and then they m moved them. The Texans started with pick two. Yes. They got 12 in the Deshaun Watson deal. So now, in, to me, in a vacuum, they selected C.J. Stroud. Fine. Good move. Fine. You get your quarterback. And then in a vacuum, they traded four picks for Will Anderson. Four picks. So they swapped two to 12. And then next year's first. But what if they just done it the other way around? What if they just taken Will Anderson at two and then traded back for the quarterback and given up exactly the same trade? I would still say the same thing because I know that they could have taken the quarterback at two and didn't have to trade up. So here's, here's what you're putting. So I, I look at these things as balance sheets, right? Here's what I get. Here's what I'm giving up. The Texans decided upon, let's say, Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud for the 12th pick. Third, pick 33 in the second round, which we know could be Joey Porter Jr. Oh, look. Could be a starter. Pick 33 in the second round. And then next year's first in next year's third. So two players, C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson, against those four picks. Now, let's do it the way you said. Let's pretend that they drafted uh, you know, Will Anderson first and then traded for – it's still the same two players. Yes. It's still the same two players. But the way I'm saying it, now it's – you already have C.J. Stroud at pick two, and then it becomes just Will Anderson for pick 12, pick 33 – a first and a third round pick. I mean, I want to be clear. I think they overpaid to move up whatever the deal was. And I don't think I would have moved up in the first place. I don't think Will Anderson is that special of a defensive prospect that you needed to make that move happen. I'm just saying that if you're in a world where 
the difference, uh, there is a difference in value of trading up to get a random non-quarterback position and a quarterback position. The only thing that determines whether or not the Texans did that is arbitrarily which guy they drafted first. Like, theoretically, you can make the argument that the value of that trade changes if they just flip the order of the names they turned in. So I think you can make the argument that it's not quite as insane as it looked if you just say they traded all that for Will Anderson. But my but overall, I think they overpaid. And that makes the flip side of that, Arizona got a steal. Like the Cardinals, who have been the team desperately trying to trade out of the number three spot since day one, managed to do that and arguably pick the player that they were going to get number three anyway if they hadn't been able yeah. to. Cardinals won the draft. I mean, Eagles Whoa, win. There. I don't know about that. Eagles and Seahawks, I think we're all going to agree. We love what they did. They all, Both teams had two picks. They came into the draft with two picks. But I'm saying the Cardinals, with what they started with and what they left with, I think the Cardinals win this draft. Because I'm saying, what did they They won a first-round pick from the Texans next year. Are the yes. Texans the Texans could be picking in the top ten again? We're going to be sitting in these chairs, maybe next year at this time. God willing, <laughs> of course. Next year at this time, saying, "Look at the Cardinals picking nine, picking fifteen, or maybe they're picking twenty-two or twenty-eight. Maybe the Texans are good, but they're still they still have this free first rounder that they didn't need and a third rounder. And by the way, we're going to say, "Oh, and last year they also maneuvered the board, got their guy, and then picked it." 33 in the second round. They have another starter. They can get Joey, Joey Porter Jr., whoever, Brian Branch. They're getting another starter for this. The Cardinals won the draft from where they started and what they ended up with. I, I don't know if they won the draft, but I think in this particular trade, they did extremely well. So the Cardinals end up trading from three down to number 12, which was the Houston second pick. Um, they To do so, they also picked up pick number 33, a first-round pick in 2024, and a third-round pick in 2024. They also apparently had to give up pick 105 this year, which is, what, a top of the fourth? or, or, or Yeah, last? I think so. Yeah, okay. top four. So top of the fourth round in order to make that happen. So that, that took them to number 12, but they traded up again. So they went from 12 to 6, trading with the Lions. Um, they had to give up uh, pick number 34, and uh, 168 to make that happen and get back pick number six and pick number 81. So that was a pretty, that's a pretty decent trade for them as well. They didn't give up that much to get back up to six. So they end up doing what the Eagles did with that uh, trade down and trade up thing and get Paris Johnson Jr., who was a guy being talked about as the number three pick to them when the theory was they might be stuck at that spot. Let, let, me, let me try to lay it out a little differently here too. I love Will Anderson. I think he's great. I think he was the clear best edge defender in this class. Yes. So I get that. Like, if you're going to trade up, <clears throat> we always talk about you shouldn't have overconfidence and all that stuff. I think there are ways to be a little bit more confident in picks now. Yeah. And Will Anderson fits the bill as a guy that you could be more confident in. So I'll give you that. But then at the end of the day, going back to the balance sheet thing, if you put Will Anderson on the balance sheet and what he's going to bring using war, using whatever – how is he going to – if he was Khalil Mack, Vaughn Miller, Miles Garrett, if he was that good, will he be bring the same return as four picks? No, I agree with you. Um, let's, do the, let's do it chronologically and in some chunks, right? So pick number one, Bryce Young, Carolina Panthers. We, we knew that was coming. The, the Panthers obviously trade up to number one a while ago with Chicago. 
Pick number two, the Houston Texans select C.J. Stroud. They end up grabbing him, and then they make that trade that we talked about. Pick number three uh, was the Will Anderson pick when they trade back up. Pick number four, the Colts end up selecting Anthony Richardson, um, not Will Levis, and that starts the Will Levis slide. So the Colts get their quarterback in Richardson. Pick number five, I think this is a big shock. The Seahawks select Devin Witherspoon from Illinois, the corner, the number one corner on our board, not the number one corner on a lot of boards. Pick number six was Arizona jumping back up after trading with the Lions and the uh, the Texans the first time. Pick number seven, the Raiders grab edge rusher Tyree Wilson. Pick number eight, the Falcons grab Bijan Robinson, the running back. Pick number nine, Philadelphia jumped up one spot, traded with the Bears, grabbed Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia. And then pick number 10, the Chicago Bears finally pick and grab Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle from Tennessee. So we talked about the Texans part. We talked about the Cardinals bouncing around a little bit and snagging maybe the number one guy on their board relative to where they were going to pick. Let's go to the Colts. I think the theme for me in this draft, or one of the themes, is that players went to good situations. I think a lot a of lot players of them, yeah. went to the right situation. All the players that I had, a lot of the players I had questions about, I feel like, hey, those questions might be answered in this particular landing spot. And it started with Anthony Richardson. I thought, you know, listeners of the podcast know, I, I was on the record saying, I think he might be the guy that ends up sliding. But then it's if he fell past four. If he fell past four, because four has Shane Steichen as the head coach, he's coming from Philadelphia, that's the fit. If, if Steichen doesn't make the call, if the Colts don't take Richardson, how many other teams are willing to, to build that offense around him? I don't know if there were many, but I, love, I can't wait to see this now. I mean, so I asked on Twitter a day before the draft. I listed the three options, and I said, which is the quarterback that's going to fall? Is it going to be Stroud? Is it going to be Richardson? Is it going to be Levis? And the split was basically a third each. Nobody had any idea, right? It was literally like 30%, 30%, 30%, and then 10% was none of them. They'll all go in the top 10. We both got it wrong. I thought Stroud would be the guy that slipped. You thought Richardson would be the guy that slipped. It turns out Levis is still sitting there at the start of the second round. He was the guy that slipped. And look, I think, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of these guys went to really, really good situations. I think you can argue that the Texans with PFF Bobby trying to run the Kyle Shanahan offense is as good a situation as Stroud could have found himself in. I think you can argue that the Shane Steichen game plan with what they've just done for Jalen Hurts is the best game plan that Richardson could have landed in. We were talking a lot about it would be a dream to see him in Atlanta in that offense. Indianapolis might actually be a better shot at it because they had more success. I mean, you look at the, the leaps that Jalen Hurts made we uh, year on year, it's the kind of leaps that Richardson needs to make, and he's probably starting from a higher standpoint in terms of what he can do as a runner. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that that match. I mean, I, th- <clears throat> I, I think because Shane Steichen has the experience building the run game around Jalen Hurts, I think Richardson's going to be a thousand yard runner if he stays healthy. He's a thousand yard runner. There's only been a handful of the in the NFL: Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, Michael Vick. Richardson can run for a thousand. He had 12.8 yards per attempt on scrambles in college. That's a record since we started this in 2014. So he's a scrambler, design run game, and we're buying time to figure it out as a passer. Yeah. I also think because of this, 
I don't know. I know I know we've been begging the Ravens to just get better receivers for Lamar Jackson and everything, but I feel like the Colts, who I've been wanting to improve their receiving core, maybe they don't have don't to. Don't need to as much. Yeah. They don't need to as much, right? They're going to scheme it up. They're going to create open throws with misdirection, and, and, they, and maybe they go back to hammering the offensive line, right? You still have Quentin Nelson there. Also, by the way, maybe leaning on those athletic freak show tight ends they have more than the wide it's receivers. A, it's a great point. He gets to throw to big body Jelani Woods, Mo Alley-Cox, Michael Pittman as a big-bodied receiver, Alec Pierce. They've got some decent athletes there to go with Richardson. And it's also Richardson and Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. Every time I was trying to justify a B. John Robinson pick, I would say, well, if he's in a backfield with a good running quarterback, now we get to see that with Jonathan Taylor, who, when healthy, is probably a top-three running back, a pure runner of the football. So I don't advise building your team through the run game, but the quarterback run game is an NFL cheat code. Colts can tap into that with Richardson, with Jonathan Taylor, and then that's your floor, right? Your high floor that we've talked about a lot, and then you're chasing Anthony Richardson, improving his throwing mechanics, improving his accuracy, getting better along those lines. So it's going to be fascinating with Indianapolis, but I think it was definitely the best fit for Richardson. Yeah, I I really do. I love that. I think he needed to go to a team that was willing to do what the Eagles did with Jalen Hurts or a couple of these teams that have built an offense around a guy that's going to take some time as a passer. Like, if anyone thinks he's going to step in and year one be a 65% passing quarterback and a guy that's, you know, hitting the right guy every time, not making mistakes, they're kidding themselves. He won't be. He's not ready at that. He he won't be by week one, no matter how much work he's putting in with the individual quarterback coach. It's going to take some time. But they've just done that. They understand how long it's going to take, and they also understand – like how good you can be in the meantime. It doesn't mean you're going to stink for two years. You can, I mean, the Eagles had a top 10 offense by EPA per play the year before Jalen Hurts was really good. So you can get to a reasonably high level, like making do while you get this guy learning on the job. <sighs> Let me go off the rails really quick. But last year at this time, Tariq Woolen, the freakiest workout we've ever seen yes. at cornerback. And we kind of said the same thing. Hey, it'll take him a couple of years, but the upside's incredible. Now, in completely different position mm-hmm. at quarterback. But you, you, Cam Newton kind of did a little of that. Like, Cam Newton was supposed to take a little bit of time as a passer. He was coming out of a, you know, heavy zone read type of thing. And then started with, like, the most consecutive 400-yard game. And he just started ever, chucking it around. Was. All I'm saying is there could be a world where Anthony Richardson, Richardson just does it, right? Because if he was in Florida this year and he came chucking it around and winning the Heisman and all that stuff, that wouldn't be a surprise. Just saying there's a world where that could happen. But overall, my my take is it should take him a couple years as yeah. well, right? The way you're saying. But but I but I, I don't I think it's important to say that I don't think that means that the offense and he will be terrible right away. Right. Like they can make it work for a while right. while you learn like it's the thing that's gonna take time is him as a passer, not him overall. Like he might actually be okay right away because of all the things they can do around him. So that puts Seattle, you said Seattle at five. Yep. And over and over and over again, we just gave Seattle Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson. This is the Wilson. first, like, shock player and pick combination. I mean, the Colts or the, the Texans doing the trade back up thing was a bit of a shock, but that had been talked about. The Colts taking a quarterback, okay, most people had Levis over Richardson, but that made sense. I don't think I ever saw Devin Witherspoon to Seattle in a pre-draft mock. Never. Not once. So I, I, I like this a lot, man. This is what we'd been 
pushing for a couple of years, moved cornerbacks up the board a little bit. They took the corner over other edge defenders, over Jalen Carter. Was it because of Jalen Carter's off-field or whatever? Maybe. Who knows? But you get Devin Witherspoon to play cornerback opposite Tariq Woolen. Different body types now. Devin Witherspoon, good athlete, aggressive player. He doesn't fit all the old Seattle thresholds, you know, because they used to have all the super long corners like Richard Sherman and all that stuff. But they've also had DJ Reed. They've also had Byron Maxwell, who wasn't as big, right, as no, those was, guys. He was, was he still pretty big? Plus. He's not Brandon Browner, though. No, 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 but he, he was big. So Witherspoon, like the closest comp for Witherspoon is what, DJ Reed, even though he's bigger than Reed? Yeah, and that Reed Seattle's was, actually they, didn't put they, out there? Like, did they start Reed off as a safety, or was he a safety that they moved to corner? Like, yeah, I think they took him from college corner to safety, to safety and then let him go him back, back to corner. Yeah. So it's a little different from what Seattle has. But I've always said the same way I think you build a basketball team on offense, if you're going to play man coverage in defense, you have to build a basketball team defensively, have different types of corners to cover different types of receivers. Yeah, Maxwell 6-1, 207. Okay, I was wrong. Yeah. Mis- misremembered. That one. Um, but that was, but that was, that was small for them, yes. though, because they had 6-3 on both right. sides at one point. Anyway, he's just a good football player. It is interesting, though, that they went, you know, full. We were like, remember, we were saying, what if you paired up uh, Julius Brents, the other giant, you know, 6-4, incredible wingspan corner to go with Tariq Wool and have these two giant, like back in the old days. And instead, they go and take a guy whose sort of criticism, you know, the knock on him is, well, he's only 5'11 and a little bit undersized. Like, he's the antithesis of what the Seahawks usually get at corner. But, I mean, look, I keep coming back to Witherspoon. He's clear cornerback number one for me. I felt, I felt a lot like I did last year when Sauce Gardner ran a 4-4, you know, and answered the question once and for all. Like, I think a lot of people went through Sauce Gardner's tape and said, this guy's amazing. He looks a little slow. Is he really like a top-end athlete? And then he runs a 4-4 flat at his pro day or whatever it was. And you're like, okay, answered, done, sold. At that point, I'm in. Like the second you see he's got legit speed, you're like, sweet, elite. I felt a lot like that with, with Devin Witherspoon. He didn't quite run a 4-4 flat, but it was like low 4-4s, I think. As soon as he did that, I'm like, done. Like that's, that guy is a blue chip prospect now. My only concern about him was, does he really have that elite athletic profile? Because the tape is insane. Like he really does read the game faster than almost any corner I can think of. He hits like a freight train for a guy that size. He's really aggressive, both in the route at the catch point, maybe a little bit too aggressive at the catch point, but I think it's a net win at the moment. It's going to cost you a few penalties, but he's he makes a, a bunch of pass breakups because of it. His He's so decisive. His linear burst, like he's – there really isn't much of a flaw or a weakness in his tape. I love his cornerback tape. I think he's a great pick for them. We'll get to the Lions picks, but uh, old friend Mike Renner, rest in peace, had a great tweet from Young the Michael. Grave. Happy birthday, Michael. Oh, happy birthday, Mike. It's always on draft weekend. Yeah. I've been out in New York with him before for mm-hmm. SI. You know, it's always birthday weekend for, uh, for Renner. Sometimes he just doesn't show up because it's Long his, his birthday. Um, he says the, the Lions went into a steakhouse and ordered a hamburger. <laughs> I think I probably couldn't, uh, couldn't say it better. Yeah. And he repeated they could have had the exact haul that the Eagles came away with. Yes, they could. Obviously, yeah. they could have picked both players. Uh-huh. So the Lions at six trade out. Yep, we'll get to them in a minute. They Which, traded, by the way, that part's good. Let's give them credit for that. We're going to rip yeah. on the other things later, but they traded back. They, they did 
grab extra picks. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, one of the most common, you know, I don't think I ever saw Witherspoon to the Seahawks as a mock. One of the most common mock picks was Witherspoon to the Lions. Maybe that precipitated them trading out. That's what I was going to say. It feels like maybe they would have taken him at six. Instead, yeah. they traded out, which was fine. I still think I think the Lions are going to hit on their picks. We'll get to that in a minute. But the Cardinals come back up from 12, yep. up to six, to get Paris Johnson Jr. And he's their tackle. There was a lot of rumors that the Cardinals were going to get him at three. And it they effectively came- only cost them one, you know, 30, one of those early seconds that they they had. So they had two, one from the Texans, one from them, themselves, and it basically cost them one of them to get back up. Yeah, I mean, this is why I think the Cardinals won the draft. It's like they moved from three to 12, and then to, from 12 to six. Yeah. And it looked like they were using completely different trade charts. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, they're, the three to 12 was like, throw all the four picks, all these picks. For, and then it was like, yeah, we'll just you know move some stuff around to go from 12 to six. Right. It felt like the Cardinals just dominated but the, the trade charts on both of those. But like the they're working with something yeah, different. But the analytics will still say you don't trade up for the tackle. Like, don't give up the second-round pick. It's a, that's an important pick as well. You, you, you could have stayed there. You could have got Skaronsky instead. Like, the, the data will still say that is a move you shouldn't make. But I will be consistent with the, with the argument I had before, which is treat it as one thing. They went Net, from three to six, basically. Right. Net it out. They yeah. went from three to six, picked up a first-round pick next year, yeah. and a third – and get the guy they might have drafted there anyway. Yes. So, again, there's, there's an argument for them to stay at 12 and say, take Broderick Jones instead. I think Paris Johnson Jr. was probably the best pure tackle in this draft class. Yeah. So I get that. I think that's fair. You get him at six. Cardinals have an interesting situation where they have four, left, four tackles on their team and no real guards and centers, but mm-hmm. they'll figure that out. Um, Raiders go Tyree Wilson at seven. You know, like, uh, you know, we talk a lot about positionless defense, you know? They're going to go positionless <laughs> offensive line. Just bring in all the tackles. I just, I just need five linemen. I don't care what position they play. Yeah. Just line them up. Best five play. Raiders go Tyree Wilson at seven. Uh, I thought Chris was dropping some breaking news bombshell. Well, I think he was. I don't I – I mean, it makes sense. Chris was talking about on the show about how his foot injury – that stopped him working out before the draft is actually a much bigger deal than people are talking about. And it might keep him out of being ready week one. He's heard from a doctor that says it might stop him playing, you know, being the player he's supposed to be, period. I mean, that's not, that's not a big talking point. Yeah. But it tallies, right? Like he went from, yeah, don't worry, I'm going to have my own private workout to actually, no. And I thought the fact that teams didn't see him work out. I mean, they didn't get to see Chase Young work out, but that dude just dominated college football a couple years ago. There were no questions about him. Right. You didn't see Tyree Wilson work out, and the workout was the thing that put Trayvon Walker over the top last year. So I thought not having the workout might make Tyree Wilson drop, the foot injury and the whole deal. But he goes at seven. And again, when I talk about fits and all that stuff, maybe the fact that this this was – some of the people that were there when they drafted Chandler, Chandler Jones and Chandler Jones was kind of this long, projectable player that turned into being pretty good. Now he's still on the Raiders along with Max Crosby. Maybe it's a good spot for Tyree Wilson here, even though I think he's one of the riskiest picks in the draft. Yeah, I, I don't love it. I mean, I, I, Tyree Wilson is, is a, one of these players in this draft that I find I struggle with because I don't 
particularly like him as a prospect. And there's a few guys that are in this bucket. I, I They're in that category that you once termed your I just don't draft list. And I would sort of, let someone else. There you draft. go. Once we rebrand it, you know, and make it more <laughs> PR friendly, and you say simply let somebody else take that chance. Wilson, I think, is in that bucket for me. Quinton Johnston is probably in that bucket for me. There's a few players like that, and certainly when you're at like number seven overall, I, I that's risky. I just don't want to take that chance. I want to let somebody else I'm just, swing that. Back. I'm just saying, according to my numbers, the hit rate for Tyree Wilson is seven percent. Seven. Seven. That's with one. What are you doing for athletic numbers there? All right. Well, I put him. So I, when I put Trayvon Walker in there, it goes up to the 40th percentile. It's still similar. Which is still garbage. I mean, let's face it. 40th percentile is a hit rate is terrible. And it's actually lower than Trayvon Walker percentile. Yeah, which he should be, you know. Um, let me see. Hit rate in the 40th percentile for solid players like 10 percent yikes whereas if you took a 90 plus say like i i have the hit rate for will anderson being 50 percent solid right and all the elite players come from will anderson's group of players yes right so that's that's when we talk about hey the texans made this super confident pick and all that stuff 50 percent is huge 17 percent is the baseline for all edge defenders right so we're talking about tyree wilson being in if we're trusting this, the model, the model, 10% lower than just all edge defenders since 2015 uh-huh. based off these numbers. That's risky. Yeah. No, it's, it is one of the, I mean, you said it, you summed it up. Well, it's one of the most, one of the riskiest picks in the first round. I, and therefore I don't love it. But like I'll say every, every pick that I think was risky, I didn't love Darnell Wright for similar reasons and all. I don't, because of the model, I, I, but they went to these places where it's like, all right, the weaknesses, maybe we could figure it out. I'm not saying the Raiders are going to be some, like, panacea for Tyree Wilson. I'll also say he was so fun to watch on tape last year. I mean, he was good. I mean, he was a good pass rusher. And having unique pass rushers. Good, not great. Yeah. Could be, could be useful. He is a weird – I mean, he's a weird player. Rather, There's a few of these guys, again, like guys that I'm lower on, but I don't hate. They're weird rather than outright bad. You know, I feel similar – in, in a way about Christian Gonzalez, who we'll get to later, it's not that I think he stinks. It's that, you know, he's just worse than the, than the, the narrative is, right? And I think yeah. Tyree Wilson is similar. I expected to have him a lot lower down on my rankings, and I just couldn't find that many players to put below him, right? It's, it's, not a, it's a weird draft like that. So it's not that he's terrible. It's just that there's definitely some weaknesses and some concerns. The one other thing, not to pile on here, um, I did tweet it out. There's some... There's a little bit of, uh, you know, selection bias and stuff in there. But Tyree Wilson is a 23-year-old. 23-year-olds historically at edge do not progress very well from year one to four, where 21-year-olds or 22-year-olds like Will Anderson is do progress pretty well. So the theoretical upside that we have for Tyree Wilson because he's got 36-inch arms <laughs> might not really exist. That's the only, that's the only problem. Um, Bijan Robinson at number eight. How high do you take a running back? Number eight overall. He's Bijan. Eight or 12, apparently. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have not seen a running back go this high in years. And remember, 2017 was a historic class. Ooh, Saquon with Leonard was the last Ford. one, right? Or is, no. What? Saquon went two. Yeah. And prior to that, it was the year before 2017 where like a slew of McCaffrey yes. and Leonard Fournette. But Saquon was the last high. Yeah. But Saquon was like this – outlier it was thought to be an outlier the same way Bijan robinson's thought to be an outlier 
and then we never really had a true, really great first-round running back that had to go. Najee Harris went late. Travis Etienne went late. Last year, we waited till the second. Part of it, we thought that the NFL might have been catching on, but we also hadn't had a ton of blue We hadn't chip. had the test candidate, like yes. the guy that, it, that belongs in this conversation as the best running back since whoever, right? Like, Saquon was that guy. You go back before that, Fournette, McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook draft. Then it was Zeke Elliott at four. But, I, I mean, so... The starting point is, how good do we think Bijan is, right? We think he's the best running back to come out during the time PFF has been great in college. So that is that encompasses Bijan Robinson, the McCaffrey, Fournette, Dalvin Cook draft, Zeke Elliott, Todd Gurley was 2015. Um, but then you start going back beyond that and you start looking at the backs that have been drafted. I mean, Trent Richardson at three, as much as he became like a joke in the NFL – was an absurd prospect when he came out. That's yep. a guy that people forget about in terms of what he was as a prospect. I mean, before that, you might be going back to Adrian Peterson in 07 or McFadden in 08. Yeah, and in, in, in this in our era, I think we were we were torn on Fournette. I don't think we had him that high on our board. I didn't love him. I, I had McCaffrey ahead of Fournette that year. I think as a group, we had McCaffrey ahead. I had Dalvin Cook. Ahead, like, yeah. I think I think McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and Bijan Robinson are the three and best I think, running back prospects. I I think I had uh, McCaffrey as the number one guy that year, and Bijan is better than McCaffrey was that year. And I love McCaffrey. I think he's better than Zeke. I think, I think he's better that's than a toss because of McCaffrey. How how special he is as a receiver. Bijan's yeah. good too, but, but I think he's better as a runner. I think Bijan is better as a runner. Yeah. Anyway, the point being, he's. I think he's better than those guys. I think that takes you all the way back to McFadden and then Adrian Peterson. We are talking about the best running back to come into the NFL in 15 years. Yeah. So whatever your starting point is in terms of how high do you draft a running back, where is too much, you know, you can get a guy later. We might be talking about the best player at that position for 15 years. When we, like, the word generational gets thrown around, like, every day. But that's, like, textbook dictionary definition of generational so the the argument against that you laid out in your B. John robinson you became the poster boy for the guy you were the guy at pff that said draft B. John robinson in yeah. the first however yeah you didn't say do it at eight you said start it at 15 i i would be comfortable with it at 15 i did say you can make a case for it at 10 which was the eagles pick I wouldn't have taken him at eight. I think the, car, uh, the, the Falcons have too many needs. So remember, my three-pronged attack, uh, plan of attack was, number one, do you need him to fix the running game by himself? Yes or no? If no, move to steps two and three. If yes, stop already. You've failed. You can't take him. So he is, that one, you get, you get a no. They don't need him to fix that run game. That run game already works. We showed that last year with Tyler Algier getting 1,000 yards and, you know, five yards per clip. That run game's fine. They don't need him to fix it. So move on to step number two. Now it's what does the contract look like? It's expensive at eight, but it's not, you know, it's not prohibitive. He'll be uh, paid APY-wise. He'll be paid like running back 15. Right. But guarantee-wise, it's top five. Sure, but... You know, if you assume he's going to be good, that's not egregious, right? You're paying him, but you're not, he's not already like market resetting money. You know what I mean? So I'm okay with that at number eight, contract wise. Number three is opportunity cost. What did you leave on the board by selecting the running back at number eight? And that's if you're, the biggest argument. And if you're Atlanta, 
you left a lot. You left Jalen Carter. You left Peter Skaronsky. You left, you know, any of the tackles. You left any of the edge rushers. The cornerbacks were there. The only one off the board was Witherspoon, Kalijah Kansi, like any of the receivers. You left a lot on the board. So that's why I wouldn't have taken him at eight if I'm Atlanta. There's, there's two things to look at, I think, when you look at a prospect. It's what, what do you think they will become and what's your confidence level? So the part of being a great prospect is not just what you will become. Like we said, is, is Bijan immediately like a top five running back in the NFL? Maybe. He might be. Top five, top eight production-wise, he could be. But then what's your confidence, confidence level that he'll be there? It's, it's high. Yeah. right? So that's one of the selling points there. But what you mentioned, the opportunity cost, they just had to release Casey Hayward for cap reasons. And he's, a good, he's still in his 30s, a good starting corner. Jeffrey Akuda, they're, they're taking a flyer on Jeffrey Akuda coming in. And there's plenty of draft left. You can get another corner, whatever. But if you grabbed a, one of the other cornerbacks and they were just average in year one, that's better for your team yeah. than an elite running back. Because your elite running back is going to take carries away from the guys you just said were very, very good last year, Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson. Where right now you have a weakness at corner, you have a weakness with pass rushers. You can upgrade more important spots. Yeah, it's, it's a great fit. He's a great player. I don't think it's a good pick because of what they left on the table. I think that's basically the, the summation of that one. All right, number nine, Darnell Wright goes to the Bears at right tackle. There was some, there was some smoke around this one. No, no, no. Niners. I'm sorry. No, no, there was a trade. Yep. You're right. This was interesting, right? The Bears had nine, and the Eagles traded up from 10 to nine. We saw this twice. In we the got first round. The, we had a bet. Who? Where's our bet? Let me find it. We uh, we had somebody in the draft bet show that we did. We never did a second one, by the way. We should have done that. I, I did mention that. No, no, I know. Yeah, I'm not saying it never occurred to us. I'm just saying we never got around to we it. We should have taken more bets. We could take some round two bets right now. Uh, so Jalen Carter, the Bears trade down from nine to ten. Eagles trade up from ten to nine to get Jalen Carter, the number one player on the PFF draft board. Yeah, Bryce Young. Um, I, I can't find the bet right now, but we had a guy basically saying that, that Howie Roseman was going to somehow work his magic on the first round and the Eagles were going to come out of this draft with Jalen Carter. And that's exactly what happened. They did. He worked his magic. Now, Chris made the point because the Bears had been linked to J both Jalen Carter and Darnell Wright. So when the Bears were picking at nine, it was like, hey, they could grab Jalen Carter now, right. as people suspected. The Eagles traded up one spot, not necessarily because they were afraid the Bears were going to do it because the Bears didn't have to trade the pick. But that someone else was going to perhaps trade up for Jalen Carter and get him there. Maybe the Steelers. They had been rumored to trying to go get him. So the Eagles made the move. Jalen Carter at nine. I, 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 think he's, I think he's the easiest to project on the field besides B. John Robinson. There we go. Joe McCulley slash Philly Joe called this. And he wins. Congrats to Philly Joe. PFF plus. Give him two years. That was good. Give him two years. Give him two. No, no give him a year. That was great, though. Great. There's a lot of we, we might have lost a lot of bets, by the way, looking at this. What were the bets? What well, else did we lose? Will Levis falls outside the top 20 picks. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's an L. So we're two Ls to start with. We're just uh, handing out PFF pluses here. Any of the following this is another loss. Uh, Detroit will pass on Jalen Carter. They passed, passed on him. Uh, they will not draft the tight end in the top 100 picks, so we don't know yet. And they will add 2023 20, picks over the draft. But they won already with the passing on Jalen Carter thing. We accepted that, huh? Now we won one. There we go. Only two quarterbacks in the top ten. There were three, right? There were three. Yeah, we won that one. Yeah. Cool. 
Dane Worthington, you lost. Those all the Hendon Hooker first round ones lost. Yep. But all I'll the Hendon Hooker second and third round ones still, still alive. Yeah. Still alive. Yeah, the bets were fun. People people put their put their names to uh, yeah. We got some uh, to some takes. We got some PFF pluses to hand out. We do a lot of PFF pluses. Anyway, where are we? So the Eagles, Eagles take Jalen Carter at nine. Well, so the Eagles get to, this is I mean this was Howie Magic right you. Jalen Carter is being talked about as the best player in this draft on the field. Now, we've, we've been – the term off the field has been used a lot with Jalen Carter. I th- people were asking in the chat during the live show. We should probably lay out exactly what we're talking about with him. Jalen Carter, arguably the best football player on the, on the field in the entire draft. The off-field with him, he was involved in a – a, 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 a warrant was issued for his arrest around the time of the combine because he was involved in some accident where a couple of um, a teammate and a staffer on the football program at Georgia died in some traffic accident where initially he had said he wasn't even there and then it turned out he might have been racing the car at the time. Um, the, a, wash, a warrant was issued for his arrest. He had to go back. He ended up pleading to some deal where he effectively paid a fine, got some community service, and it's gone away now, right? Um, so that that's one, like, off-field concern. He also showed up at his pro day, looked out of shape, didn't even make it through all the drills properly. That wasn't great. His sort of – there's been mixed reports on how his interviews and things have gone, and Drew Rosenhaus and his sort of team have been like he's not even talking to teams outside of the top ten. That rubbed some people the wrong way. So there's been a general sense of, you know, are the maturity issues with this kid? And then because of that Georgia defense and the fact they rotate a ton, it's like, does he go 100% every play? Is he, you know, a little bit lazy relative to what you're seeing? So that's all that stuff kind of lumped into one bucket of, like, general character concerns with him but on field we're talking about the number one player on most big boards and the eagles saw what we all saw they're sitting there just you know scouting players for the 2022 nfl draft watching the 2021 georgia bulldogs watching jordan davis who they end up drafting watching nicobe dean who they end up drafting they're like who's 88 yeah, well, the Eagles... Who's the, the sophomore? The Eagles just started off, right? And they're like, let's go watch the best defense in college football history, and let's take the best players from it. All of them. That's the way to win. Whereas the Jags are like, let's just take somebody from that defense. Doesn't really matter who. Like, take the best athlete. He's probably the best player. <laughs> the Eagles are like, no, no, no. That guy there that's killing everybody, take him. And the, the, the linebacker, the one that's running the thing, like, we'll have him too. It's Good. crazy. And then, uh, not to spoiler alert, for if you're just listening for the first time, the Eagles will get Nolan Smith later in the uh, first round. Apologies. Yeah, Apologies absurd. for giving that away. I mean, it's wild. So they now have three quarters of a defensive line from the greatest college football defense of all time and the middle linebacker that ran the show. Yeah. It, I, it might work. <laughs> um, so Jalen Carter gets to play next to Jordan Davis up front. You have Fletcher Cox there still for one more year to mentor those guys. Uh, you still have Milton Williams and, you know, the edge rushers, Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, add uh, Brandon Graham's coming back again, and then Nolan Smith, Derek Barnett. I and mean, this, they're just loaded. This trade only cost them a 2024 fourth-round pick to move up that one spot and grab arguably yeah, the best presumably player. to keep someone else from doing it. So, Or just simply because, you know, at this point, you know, who knows? Like, let's just jump up that one spot, guarantee it. And for Chicago, it's probably – I mean, it's evidently a player they weren't drafting anyway – so they pick up a 2024 fourth for nothing. So it's, you know, it's, it's great business for both teams. 
The other part that is so crucial, I think, for the Eagles, I mentioned this on the show about the Bengals. So any of these teams that have a ton of money locked up in the quarterback, and the Eagles now do, even though it's not it's not going to kill them cap-wise, mm-hmm. you want to be cheaper at extremely valuable positions, like defensive line, you know, places that get paid. So now they added Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. They, they're adding cost-effective players at really valuable positions in addition to just adding these dudes to a loaded defensive line rotation. So good job by the Eagles. They're certainly one of the winners of the draft. Uh, number 10, it was Darnell Wright going to the Bears. He's going to go play right tackle, presumably. And, you know, again, they were they were linked to Wright. Um, I get Wright. I get why people liked him. Excellent in pass protection. I do think there is, as I mentioned on the show and our show many times, the run-blocking profile is not strong for Darnell Wright, but like other players in this draft, if there's a place to go to mitigate that, it's a place that runs runs the ball a lot, has a running quarterback, has misdirection. Darnell Wright at 330 pounds just misses on too many blocks, but this could help him, the fact that defenders have to account for Justin Fields. Yeah, and now Chicago was able to parlay the number one overall pick into DJ Moore, Darnell Wright, a first-round pick next year, and a second-round pick in 2025. That's pretty good going. It's it's really good. And look, you know, we were talking about the Bears at the beginning of this whole draft cycle. They should draft Bryce Young and trade Justin Fields. And I said You were saying that. <clears throat> I said that. I said they should consider it. And let's go back to the balance sheet again. It's Bryce Young for and then whatever you would get for Justin Fields, right? right? But what they ended up with, keep Justin Fields, trade that first overall pick, have the DJ, everything that you just laid out. It is a really good haul. Yeah. Now, Bryce Young could become a star, and, you, and Fields might never develop as a passer, and you'd be like, man, they really should have taken that. This is probably the right move, though, adding all the pieces that they've added. If Fields doesn't do well this year, maybe they're still picking top 10 next year. They'll figure, they'll figure that out. But they added so much to the roster. They made the most of that number one overall pick. So Darnell Wright, of all the fits, I think this is a good one for the Bears. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you have to love that haul. Uh, I think that's a good uh a good way of part of parlaying that number one overall pick and you know this is a pick they weren't supposed to have <laughs> like they got that because of the texans texans gifted them that and they were able to turn that into you know what they did so phenomenal result i think for chicago on a hill mary uh we're we gonna throw out the next 10 picks and then run through them oh man the, is that hit the way rate. we're doing this yeah let's do that while i look up the Right. The hit rate for uh, for Darnell Wright. We're on the screen. Number 11, Peter Skoronsky to the Tennessee Titans. Maybe he plays tackle, maybe he plays guard. Who knows? Number 12, Jameer Gibbs to the Detroit Lions. The running back from Alabama. Second running back in the draft, taken number 12. Number 13, the uh, Green Bay Packers, Lucas Van Ness. That's the pick that the uh, the Jets had before they, they swapped with the Aaron Rodgers deal. Um, pick number 14, the Steelers end up trading up, right, with the, the New England Patriots to grab tackle Broderick Jones from Georgia. Number 15, Will McDonald, my guy from Iowa State, the edge rusher for the New York Jets. Number 16, Emmanuel Forbes, the cornerback from Mississippi State, uh, the second cornerback off the board to Washington. Pick number 17, the Patriots select Christian Gonzalez, the number one corner on a lot of boards from Oregon. Pick number 18, the Lions surprise again with linebacker Jack Campbell from Iowa. Pick number 19, Kalijah Kansi, the interior defensive lineman from Pittsburgh. And pick number 20, the Seahawks get Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, the number one wide receiver on most people's boards to go with their haul. Can I throw some cold water really quick on the Bears? Sure. Shit on all you <clears> like. Darnell Wright. Let me, let me do it really quick. The good and the bad. 
Uh, Donnell Wright's really low in the model. And we have not seen a player under the 60th percentile become solid or better. So what is, the, what is it that the model hates the most about Darnell Wright? Because there's a few concerns or holes in his profile. Okay, so, I'll so Darnell Wright, because I'm taking an entire career, I've run all of this on an entire yeah. career. He started off slow. He was not good for three years. He was good, not great last Including year. Including at right tackle, by the way. It's not like he, you know, stank at left tackle. They moved him to the right side. Oh, he's great. He's just a right tackle. No, he was like garbage at right tackle, garbage at left tackle, and then back to the right tackle was good. Yes. So there are questions about that. He is he has the worst run blocking profile of any first round pick that we've ever seen. <laughs> I'm just telling you, he even when I just took his last couple of years, like third percentile, fourth percentile in uh, avoiding negatively graded blocks. So he whiffs, he falls off blocks. Those the negatively graded blocks for tackles are much more projectable than positives are okay. in our data. So that's that's one of them. He has a good pass blocking profile. Fine. More recently. And because he struggled so much earlier in his career, I did rerun it for just his last year. It got him up into the 60th, 60th percentile range, which is reasonable. It's actually comparable to, say, a Broderick Jones and some of these other guys. And so the good news is there's been one hit so far in the mm -hmm. 60th percentile. It's, a really, it's really good at projecting tackles. One hit as low as the 60th percentile, and it's Braxton Jones, oh. the left tackle for the Bears last year. So do they have an eye for tackles and developing them? And, and look, other people love Darnell Wright. All I'm saying is, using the data, he would be a massive outlier. Or, I mean, not necessarily do they have an eye for this, but with this offense that is now based off Justin Fields' run ability. Like, remember, when the Ravens built this offense around Lamar Jackson, it made tackles' lives easier because all of a sudden, the defenders are playing it differently. They're not you know, acting like the quarterback is going to be a statue in the pocket every time. They're having to read what's going on, which lets the attack, what lets the offensive line be more aggressive and be on the aggression, be on the attack rather than, you know, passive and, and reactive to what the defense is doing. So I wonder if these offenses that are being built around uh, quarterbacks that are rushing threats actually make life significantly easier for offensive tackles and can potentially change the outcomes of things like that. I think it's a huge part of it, absolutely. And it's part of what Bra how Braxton Jones did grade well last year. And again, I think for all the questions I have about Darnell Wright, he went to the best situation. That will help him. Yeah. Um, so back to uh, pick 11. Titans take it, Peter Skaronsky. We mentioned, made the point on the show, you could try him at right tackle. This is I one would. of the few. How many did you, did you manage? How many did you call correctly during the, uh, the live show? Did you get any? I, is this a segue to you saying you called? Well, it's not a, a segue, couple. but it, it's obviously where I'm going next, yeah. Um, I think I got Brissy to the Saints. Okay. I think and I got two. I think this was one of my two that I got. Did you say Jordan Addison to the Vikings? No, you said... No, I said I, may, I mean, I mentioned him as one of a list of players that they could pick. Oh, like I said were... Broderick Jones to the Steelers that they, when they traded up. Did you get that? I said they traded Trev, up for Trev a corner or a tackle. Trev said Broderick Jones. Oh, did he? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I got Skoronsky and I got uh, the Chiefs pick at the end. Did you nail Jameer Gibbs to the Lions? No, no, didn't get that one. So Skoronsky goes to the Titans. How many hours? Is this going to be a three-hour show? Probably, yeah. We're just going to recap the entire – I mean, look, as long as I get an article did. written by 8 a.m. tomorrow, we're fine. Oh, who needs to sleep anyway? Yeah, right. This is great. Skoronsky, what else we got here? Skaronsky. I would start him at right tackle. They have, they have holes all across the offensive line. Yeah, they're one of the, again, perfect fit, right? Like, they're a team that needs help in multiple spots if they end up having to move him and, like, 
plan B at a second spot and he's good there, it's still a win. So I'm with you. I would give him a shot at right tackle, see what happens. Um, and if he can't play there, move him inside. To me, Marshall Yanda is the pathway. Marshall Yanda started his career at right tackle for the Ravens. I got another guy with short arms, not quite as short as Skaronsky's, but pretty short, under 33 inches, which is that NFL cutoff. Um, Yanda started off at right tackle, moved into guard, moved back to tackle a little bit, and then back into guard where he became an all-pro and a, the best guard of his generation, arguably. Um, but he was good at right tackle and maybe not any worse at right tackle than he was at guard. I would give Skaronsky the shot to do that. And if he can, if he really does struggle, and he didn't have many losses in, in his college tape, like the dude gave up like six pressures or something last year. The losses that he did have were all people getting into his pads and him just like, you know, stumpy arms can't, like, just, there's nothing you can do. Oh, we had so much short arm hate. It's great. <laughs> I mean, his arms are an eighth of an inch longer than mine. I know. He's... You have to be so technically sound at everything else. Yeah. And um, he does mean, though, that he can win a, he can win a arm length competition against Hutchinson. Tyree Wilson, they, do they play the Raiders next year? Like, the guys that do actually have the 35, 36 inch arms? Yeah. Those can be tough. Yeah. Tough matchups. Chris was making the point, though, on, our, on the show that he was on, his mock draft, that he's very good, actually, at turning and only and using one arm and sort of maximizing the length that he does have. Like, yeah. He's not, you know, that thing, the sort of classic pass set where they drop back and then it's two-hand punch up the middle. Like, he, there's no length to that. He can't do that. So he's got to turn and one arm. And oh, yeah. I mean, most old line coaches don't want you no, I know, doing but like, that anyway. But if he did, he'd be punch. boned. Yeah. The dude has no kind of length doing that. Yeah, you have to wonder how much that's old school thinking too with the arm length but, but I think Chris's point is true that he's not just like we're not just talking about independent hand usage we're talking about a guy that legitimately does turn and is able to like fully extend whatever length he does have working for him yeah retract the scapula and maximize your length mm. it's important uh, Jameer Gibbs goes number 12 to the Lions this was the Lions had the most surprising picks of the first round yes after it, look I'm did Dan Campbell take over this year? What happened? It is funny because they, they've done really well drafting the last couple of years. Uh, we gave them a ton of credit for doing what they should have done last year, taking Aiden Hutchinson. They did make an aggressive trade-up last year for Jamison Williams. I don't know if it was the best move in the world, but like I understood it because they were getting valuable positions. They yeah. took Panay Sewell a couple of years ago at tackle, Aiden Hutchinson, and then Jameer, uh, Jamison Williams. High-value positions. It wasn't this, you know, run the ball, stop the run, what we thought Dan Campbell could be when he comes in. But this draft was they grabbed a, you know, an explosive running back who I get. Like, you can watch Jameer Gibbs on tape and say, I want that on my team. I get it. It's just really tough to just have the discipline to not take that at 12. And then Jack Campbell at 18, love the player. I think he's going to be good. I think, I think he's the best linebacker in the draft. 18 is higher than you probably could have taken him. You have an early second where Jack Campbell is probably still around. Maybe the Bills or some other team would have looked at him, but How he's much, probably still around. I mean, we're generally – this is generally going to be negative for the Lions. Extending an olive branch, how much would you factor in the fact the, – the, the scarcity of, like, genuine linebackers in this class? Because a lot of – like, you don't want to draft a running back high because there's a million and one running backs you can get in the mid-rounds of this draft, and you're fine, right? Like, maybe you can make the argument for Bijan, Jameer Gibbs. I, why would you take him at 12 when you can get, you know, other running backs later round that aren't necessarily going to be dramatically worse? 
you can look at this linebacker group and you're like, there might only be one or two conventional, you know, linebackers in this class. So you make the point a lot where you say, hey, hey, Team X, you just learned this lesson last year. You just made this running back into a guy. Mm-hmm. Or you just made So the Lions just learned this lesson last year. They turned Jamal Williams into the touchdown record holder for the Detroit Lions for a single season. Jamal Williams, mm-hmm. who's no longer with the team. But they turned him into that. They turned Malcolm Rodriguez from a sixth-round pick to a reasonable starter at linebacker. They brought back Alex Anzalone at linebacker. The way they had invested in that position previously made sense, right? So it felt like they were, it felt like the Lions were looking around saying, we've done a pretty good job building this team. Our offensive line is nice. We got some playmakers at receiver now. We've added a ton of defensive linemen. We spent all of our free agency on corners. We filled all of our needs, except explosive running back to eventually replace DeAndre Swift and linebacker that we, you know, starting linebacker. And yeah, maybe there's a drop off from Jack Campbell and traditional linebackers to all the other guys. It felt like a team, like remember the Jaguars a couple years ago, they were tough to mock draft for because it looked like all their needs were looking good, but within a year they had a million needs. That's why you just have to draft the best players and the most valuable players. You can't just fill needs. It felt like they were filling needs and also just getting really excited about Jameer Gibbs and his film and the explosive plays that he creates, which I get, but you have to have, you know, discipline not to take that at 12. Yeah. I mean, the Gibbs, the Gibbs fake is not one I'm going to defend at all, but I, I do wonder if there's a, if there's some mitigation to the Jack Campbell pick where you say, this is a rough looking linebacker group. And if you want a linebacker, you might only have two guys to pick from in the entire draft. And that so part I can maybe I can, you got to reach for a bit. For that part I can get behind again from a I mean, I don't have as much faith in my linebacker numbers, but he's <laughs> head and shoulders above Trenton Simpson, Drew Sanders, Dan Henley. He's head and shoulders above all those guys. Yeah. And while we would say cornerbacks and receivers and more valuable positions, they're on the clock in a couple more picks and they could get Joey Porter Jr. Who if, if they had taken Joey Porter Jr. at 18, we're over at high five. And so like their draft. There's still a chance to salvage it, right? And it looks like the Raiders drafts from a couple years ago were like, ah, yeah, one of those drafts where if you flip the order a couple of times, it actually looks really good. But like even the Gibbs thing, like I I can I can talk myself into the why, which is I want a dude who can score. I mean, these this is what they're talking about in draft rooms. How many guys? How many guys in this draft could score from anywhere on the field? There's three of them, right? And Bijan's one of them, and Jameer Gibbs is like maybe the best at that. Like I get it, I I get that, but I you can't take that at twelve. You have to fill other spots first because you could still use a better third receiver. They have a chance to get one still, but you could still use a better third receiver. Uh, you could still use a uh, future-proofing cornerback. You could still use more pass rush. You could still use all these other things besides just the really good space running back. No, I agree. I think, like, but also specifically that style of running back, that kind of speedster, um, you know, light, lighter weight, but can be an impact guy in the, the passing game, a home run hitter. I mean, he's of the um, Travis Etienne ilk of receiver, but that, or of running back. But that guy doesn't tend to go, you know, at the very top of the draft. Like Travis Etienne was 25, 20-something, like the, towards the bottom of the first round. That's generally where that sort of lighter weight, explosive home run hitting type of running back tends to go even relative to, like, first-round running backs. So this is a real sort of stretch to take him at 12. 
So here's the other. What are they, they have a whole bunch of. They have at least two second rounders and like what another pick early third, whatever it might be. Yeah. I think they can they can salvage this, and then they're going to look back and say, we got two things that we couldn't have anywhere else, which is the speed back in Gibbs with receiving ability, and the the three down linebacker that we could trust. They pick thirty four. They pick forty eight. And 55 are their next picks. They're all in the second round. Yeah, and I'm telling you, they can get an explosive receiver, uh, a corner who doesn't have to start year one but starts year two when Emmanuel Mosley leaves, right? Jerry, Joey Porter Jr., whoever it is, um, and whatever else they can get. They can get three good players. I mean, like, yeah, defensive lineman maybe. Like if they got a Keanu Benton or something. Yeah, another defensive lineman. Yeah, so they can get three good productive players and then the way they would justify it is in the first round while the positional value may have not have been right we got things that didn't exist elsewhere in the draft gibbs level explosiveness and three down linebacker and jack campbell that we can trust yeah that's how you justify it but sure i mean yeah you can it also could have looked much better like if like when renner said what if they just did what the eagles did yeah and drafted jalen carter and nolan smith or, you know, if we, I mean, we're sort of saying that they can, you can turn this good by creating, like, getting incredible steals later on. Like, if they're the team that snags Brian Branch because he fell, you're like, wow, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, that makes perfect sense. But it does kind of mean that, like, we're working behind the eight ball right now. Like, they need, they need to fix it from where it is, which means, by definition, it's not good right now. Anyway, right. that's enough time on the Lions. Where are we yep. going after that? That was 12 and 18. Okay. We're going to be here all night. Lucas Van Ness, 13. Interesting pick. To the Green Bay Packers. Very Packers pick. Yeah. You know, like you have your choice of all the pass catchers in the, in the draft. Of course, you end up just drafting another edge rusher who I mean, might not is, be an edge rusher. This is kind of the opposite of what Detroit just did, right? I'm, I feel like Detroit was filling, filling need spots at lower value positions where the Packers just stuck to. We only, we only draft high value positions here. We're only going to keep drafting edge defenders. Sure, we already have Rashawn Gary. Sure, we already have Preston Smith for a few years. But Gary's contract will be up soon, and we just want to keep replenishing and, and stay cheap at that position. And Van Ness is also a guy that, you know, they can put all those guys on the field at the same time. He can line up inside with Devontae Wyatt, Kenny think, Clark, move th- around a little bit. I think he's an interior player. I don't, yeah. I don't really think he's an, uh, an edge rusher. He's... He feels like that kind of old school, you know, interior, like classic three, four end, five technique type of guy who can, you know, move around. He can play on the edge a little bit, but I feel like he belongs inside more. Yeah, I think I think he can move around. I mean, a little bit, and I like that versatility. Be that you know, bull rush off the edge, compress the pocket on against tackles and guards from the interior, whatever he's got to do. He's got a lot of power. A lot of a power. lot of power. I think he's a good player. And he does have, like, he's got a lot of power and he works. Like, he's got that classic, cliche, high motor, gritty white guy. You know, like, he's got that good working for him. But, he does. But he doesn't have that much else. Like, there, we need a lot more variety and polish to his game. Only about 1,000 snaps, right, to yeah. his name? So that's the other intriguing part. Both him, uh, Brian Brzee I mean, later in the draft. He basically didn't start. Yeah. Um, so that's the Packers at 13, grabbing Lucas Van Ness. Then the Steelers traded up. To get Broderick Jones at tackle. And like Chris said a lot during the show, there was just a run. You know, a bunch of tackles and, yeah. uh, and Skaronsky went all at the same time. This was the last. Look at you. you still, still like besmirching. I'm just prefacing it for names. the people that are going to. Peter Skaronsky. What did our tracker call him? 
Tackle. He's a tackle. <laughs> Run on tackles. And you and yet you keep misnaming him, calling him calling him a, a, a guard. I just think that's what the Titans are gonna call him. No, and you, most teams. You changed. Broderick Jones, maybe the last available high end tackle prospect. So Steelers went and got him, probably steps right in as the potential uh, starting left tackle. Yeah. When he's, he's one of the starters. Figure out which one you want to bench. Either spot. Yeah. Probably for Dan Moore. You would think so, yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense for Pittsburgh. Broderick Jones was a guy that a lot of people had as tackle number one on the board. Um, I can see that. I, I didn't have him there. I think Paris Johnson was the, the number one pure left tackle, whatever you're doing with Skaronsky. Um but Broderick Jones, that's, it makes sense. They, they, what do they, trade up two spots, three spots to make this Three happen? spots, yeah, from 17 to 14. There was a lot of rumors about the Steelers trading up. Um, one of their beat writers had them trading up for Christian Gonzalez, yeah. who ended up going at their old spot at 17. Um, but everybody had them in the tackle or cornerback market. Interestingly enough, as we start day two tomorrow night, Joey Porter Jr. still on the board for the Steelers to take. A lot of people liked Joey Porter Jr., of course, because of the Steelers' connection, but just going to Pittsburgh generally in the first round. Cost Pittsburgh pick number 120 to move up those three spots to get to make that pick. At 50 and the Jets get your guy. Will McDonald the fourth. Love Explosive it. edge rusher. Your guy, man. He's the best pure edge rusher in this draft, just as a pass rusher. I think he's better than Will Anderson as a pure pass rusher. Now, he's not as good as Will Anderson at other things, which is why he's not edge number one. But I do think he was edge number two for me. Um, his twitchiness, his get-off is insane. His lateral quickness is wild. He has that bend, that thing that I am an absolute sucker for, for edge rushers, that classic being able to bend around the edge, run the corner, and get the quarterback can sustain such a tight angle of attack with offensive linemen leaning on him, which for a guy who's only like 240 pounds – is pretty impressive. Like, that's generally the type of player that gets washed out when that happens. They might be able to run a tight corner, but not when the tackle is leaning on them in the process. He's able to do that. He's such a good pass rusher. He had a 92 pass rushing grade against true pass rush sets, which there weren't that many of because of that ridiculous Iowa State defense. Ridiculous in terms of what they're asking him to do, not, you know. Not for college football. Right. Iowa State defensive Fans, you know, don't. It's not that it's bad. It's just putting a 240 pound guy in a we role that your, he has no business. We love being your tight in. fronts and all that stuff. Yeah. They're, they're beautiful. So, you know, it's not helpful for, for Will McDonald. It's helpful for the defense overall. But he's so, so good. If he was just a bit bigger, I think he would be edge number one in the entire draft class. But even without that, again, great situation. I'll keep talking about this all the way through the first round. He's going to a team that already has. You know, high-end pass rushers all over the place. Forget Quinn and Williams inside, but they've got John Franklin Myers. They've got Jermaine Johnson that they drafted last year. Carl Lawson is still on the roster. Maybe he plays another year there. Um, they've got Huff uh, from a year ago. Like, they've got a rotation there. And even if he only is a situational guy, <laughs> you know, year one or right away, it's valuable there. Yeah, when Robert Sala came over, we were like, of course he's going to build the defensive line. And they, they did a little bit. They went back to building up the cornerback room last year with Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. But, yeah, loading up on pass rushers. Very good fit for Will McDonald. think you covered him well. Number 16, Emmanuel Forbes. A late riser in the process, going to Washington at corner. Um, I think he's really good. The question is he's 166 pounds. Yeah. Good player, ball hawk, makes a ton of plays, 87 PFF grade in 2022, last year. 
and you know finished his career with a ton of interceptions, six pick sixes, 17 pass breakups, 14 total picks. Just makes a ton of plays on the ball. And 166 pounds at six foot one. So it's not like he's just tiny. He's long and thin as a rail. That's, Another guy just no comps. Yeah. There's no comps. Basically unprecedented. Doesn't exist in the NFL. Hasn't existed in the NFL, which is going to scare people. But you look at his tape, he mirrors really, really well. He makes plays on the ball really, really well. He does a lot. Like if you're just looking at his tape, I had him at what? Cornerback five? Uh... Like, you can make an argument that he belongs up there with those top-end guys. It's just my two concerns with him were, number one, he's 166 pounds. Number two, he's quite guessy, you know? There's a lot of gamble to Emmanuel Forbes' tape that's a little bit worrying. Like, he's going to get beat a couple of times where he gambles and gets it wrong, and it's, it's ugly. It is true, right? When you, that's um, a lot of Ravens fans wanted him to replace Marcus Peters because you had that style, right? Yeah. Uh, Peters was interesting as a guy that always gave up a ton of yards but did turn the ball over. Is that what Forbes is going to be at the next level? Trayvon Diggs type. It might give some up. Get the ball for your defense, though, or for your offense. So, yeah. I mean, I liked Forbes a lot. The The numbers liked him in the model. Um, he was a late riser because he jumped up a little bit on the consensus board. There was a lot of smoke around Cincinnati. Wanted to get him at 28. But he goes at 16. And I think it was a Daniel Jeremiah maybe threw him in. In his late and his last mock at 16 to Washington, so uh, good job. Didn't and him he? going ahead of Christian Gonzalez is pretty interesting. He did, and uh, Gonzalez goes the next pick, and this was we start to see more runs right on corners, and Gonzalez goes 17. So New England moved from 14 to 17. They get Christian Gonzalez. He had been rumored to go as high as seven yeah. to the Raiders, maybe even six to the Lions, but he goes at so the Lions passed on Gonzalez well at least once. Once or twice. Um, David Blau's brother-in-law. <laughs> Christian Gonzalez to the new, to the Patriots. You don't love Christian Gonzalez, but another one where it's a good fit. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't love Christian Gonzalez, and it makes sense to me that he slid a little bit relative to what people were expecting. Um, but for him to land in New England, I think is it couldn't have been better for him. Like, the, Gonzalez is effectively a phenomenal – he's the prototype – uh, in terms of athleticism and movement skills, his size, his speed, his athleticism over, you know, explosiveness, all those kinds of things. And the smooth fluidity of movement that he has is it's sickening. It's disgusting. It's so good. It's literally like exactly what you want from a top tier corner. But he's just not a particularly good cornerback right now. His play is not good. And especially if you watch Witherspoon tape and then Gonzalez tape back to back in, in either order you want to do it in. It's night and day. Witherspoon reads everything before everybody else on the field. The speed with which he's able to read plays and anticipate what's coming is incredible. Gonzalez is at the other end of the spectrum. He's always a tick, low, a tick slow and a tick behind the play, and it gets him into some trouble. He gets beaten when he shouldn't because he's just slow reading it. And he's not good at the catch point, which is where Witherspoon is great at. Um, he gives up things that he shouldn't give up in terms of I've got inside alignment and I'm still going to let you cross my face somehow. Like he's just not, he's not a particularly good football player right now. He's a spectacular athlete, but he's the lowest passer rating he's ever given up in a season is like 75. That's barely above or barely below average. But he's going to New England where they have one of the greatest defensive coaches in football history. If there's ever a guy that's going to marry. The potential of a, an athlete and a 
you know, a, a, just a, an ability to move with here's the technique and the ways you need to actually make that work on the field, it's Belichick. He's so smooth, sub 4 440, only 21 years old. Our guy Dane Brugler was on the show, absolutely loved him, said he got all the feels. Um, and 97th percentile combine number for me as, t- as far as here are the numbers that project to wins above replacement at the next level. The production numbers are in the 40s, so it kind of shows the difference. Uh, so the production's not there, but corner is one of those positions where you could bet on athletes, I think, if you're looking at the right stuff. And it goes to New England where they definitely have had success there. So Gonzalez to New England at 17. Lions were back up on the clock grabbing Jack Campbell at 18. We already talked about him. And then Kalijah Canty to Tampa Bay, as Chris said. But this is Chris's mock hit. Kalijah Canty going to the Bucks because of Warren Sapp. Yeah. Undersized interior pass rusher. Yeah, love it. I mean, I, to me, Kalijah Canty is a top 10 player in this draft. I, I honestly think the things that he's special at – are incredible and in this draft where there aren't blue chip prospects left right and center there everybody's got some kind of you know flaw or wart to their game we're we're zooming in on the bad things for Kalijah Kansi and being like can't take that high I, I say to hell with it like who how many of these guys should you put ahead of him I I think he's a top 10 player I, this is steel another good fit right he gets to play next to Vita Vea and uh, and Greg Gaines right a couple big nose tackle types they do a lot of uh, old-school three-man fronts with the two outside, but, you know, three, four fronts. Um, odd looks. He could play that, you know, kind of like a loose three-technique, nickel and all that stuff. But he's got big dudes next to him to eat up blocks. Did you like my math? You know, he might only be 281 pounds. But if you put him next to Vita Vea and average it out, that's 315. I do like that math. Yeah. That, that, that does make sense. Right? It's perfect. So you got an average I, defensive line I don't size. see a problem there. That's big. Yeah, I like Kansi. Disruptive interior pass rusher, the Bucks. I think, so, you know, you'll hear all the time, right? The guys can't stand up to a double team, right? We're in this world now where that's kind of your default, like, negative note for interior defensive linemen. I wrote it for everybody except Mozzie Smith. That's what I'm saying. Like you, <laughs> they, you, and, None of them can. And not just this year, but you go back, like, the last draft, the draft before that, that's kind of what you put for all these guys now because they don't, almost none of them. Uh, it's rare when you get a defensive tackle where you're like, guy holds up against a double team. He's good at that. That's why the, those so, old school nose tackles were really valuable. Right, sure. Yeah, you're right. Number one, it makes those guys actually valuable because they have a rare skill set now. They can do that. But number two, you probably shouldn't be using it as a stick to beat a guy who's amazing as an interior pass rusher with just because he's smaller. Like, yes, does he struggle against double teams? Sure. Does everybody else who's 300 pounds? Yeah. Like... Brian Brzee struggles against double teams, maybe as badly as Kalijah Kansi, and he's worse as a pass rusher, and he's 20 pounds heavier. So what are we doing here? That's why he, uh, that's why he went lower. Yeah, agreed. Has there been, besides Donald, any good – I'm sorry, I'm getting off the rails here. It's not time to look this up. I like Kalijah Kansi. Good player. Mm-hmm. Who, what's 20? Where are we here? Do we cover Jackson Smith and Jigba yet? Do we no. put that in? Well, we talked about it, but we haven't <coughs> talked about it. Seahawks go Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. I think the Seahawks are big winners here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Wither, uh, Witherspoon and Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. I mean, I'm a little sad that the Seahawks had two not predictable picks, but like ones that made sense. That they didn't do anything crazy? Yeah. Yeah. No LJ Colliers, no Jordan Brooks, right. no guys just zooming up into the first round. Yeah. Like this if is they, awesome. If they just Seattle. drafted like A.T. A. Perry here? Yes. Yeah. 
That would have been great. Right. This is awesome for Seattle. Yeah, I mean, so Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, is one of the more interesting picks in the first round, ironically, because he's been talked about as, like, he's been talked about effectively as one of the least interesting, right? He's like the safe first-round grade wide receiver who's a slot only but is really good at it, so he's worth the first-rounder. And it's like, I don't think that does justice to what he is as a player. Um, number one, it, yeah, he, he's played 90% of his snaps in the slot. Uh, but that Ohio State offense is weird in terms of manufacturing offense in various different ways. So the guy who plays in the slot is always going to have the best, the best numbers. He's also going to be open a lot. So he's only doing like half the work to get open. But Smith and Jigba is utterly fearless when it comes to playing over the middle. That dude will throw himself into a tight space and not think twice about it. So he has that going for him. I don't think he's tremendously good at actually having a feel for zones and, and space and how to settle in the right area and those kinds of things. He just sort of seems to wander into space and hope that the quarterback, like, basically leads him where to go. He doesn't, you know, like, Jordan Addison has a much better feel for how to you sit in the right has, space. I thought he did have a – I thought – the way he maneuvered the field was really good. No, I think he's very good against man coverage, but I have a, a lot more question about how he sort of has a feel for the space and defenders and zone. But I also think because of those, because of that man coverage defeating ability, God, the words are losing it at 1.30 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Um, I think he can play outside. We're talking about this guy as a slot only. He has elite footwork. He has elite route running skills. He's got elite change of direction skills. He can defeat press coverage, even though he barely ever saw it. Um, those man coverage skills, I think, let him play on the outside. So I think he can be more in the NFL than he was in college. And if he can, that opens up a lot of possibilities in that offense. Because all of a sudden, you can start playing around with him and Tyler Lockett, moving them around. Maybe he you know, ascends into a bigger role down the line. And the floor right away is incredibly high because of what he's already good at. For a lot of these receivers, except maybe Addison going to Minnesota, they, they, they kind of – I get excited about it because they go to spots where they could be the three. And it backs up my point that, <clears throat> first off, your third receiver is a starter. Your third receiver is more valuable than your starting running back because it puts pressure on the defense. You have to try to cover that. And I like when Zay Flowers goes to Baltimore when he, where he doesn't have to be the guy. And Jackson Smith and Jigba gets to go to Seattle where he's the three and probably eventual Tyler Lockett insurance down the road. But DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and go figure out how to cover Smith. It's like Smith and Jigba's at Ohio State again where he's the afterthought. And he could be a good afterthought because he's good at all those things like getting open against man coverage, running routes, and all that stuff. So I love it for Seattle. That's how you win with Geno Smith as your quarterback. I mean, that's that's what you got to do. So great job by Seattle. Yeah, I love absolutely. their draft. We, you uh, want to run through the the final, the last ones? Gotcha. You're a warrior. Well, pick number twenty one was forfeited for the Miami Dolphins. So the real pick number twenty one was Quentin Johnston, TCU wide receiver, going to the Los Angeles Chargers. Number twenty two. This is a wide receiver run. Zay Flowers, Boston College, going to the Baltimore Ravens. Number 23, the Minnesota Vikings selected Jordan Addison, USC wide receiver. 24, the Giants jumped up one spot, right, with the Jags to get Deontay Banks, the cornerback from Maryland. Then Buffalo jumped up to pick number 25 to grab Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah. 
26, the Dallas Cowboys selected Mozzie Smith, the defensive tackle from Michigan. 27, the Jags finally picked, grabbed Anton Harrison, the last remaining tackle, I guess, from Oklahoma. 28, the Cincinnati Bengals, Miles Murphy from Clemson. 29, the uh, New Orleans Saints, Brian Brzee from Clemson. Pick number 30, the second pick by the Philadelphia Eagles, Nolan Smith, defensive end from Georgia. And then pick number 31, the Kansas City Chiefs, Felix Anadike Uzama, the Kansas State edge rusher. Great. Great job. Appreciate it. You do a good job reading the picks. Thanks. So Quentin Johnston to the Chargers. Hmm. Repeat what I just said about Smith and Jigba. Quentin Johnston gets to come in and be the three, right? Our concerns about him, ah, I don't want to rely on him as a high-volume guy. He's not as good of a downfield threat, winning in tight spaces and all that stuff. Great. He's going to have enough freak plays. Um, I've been all over the place with Quentin Johnston comps. When you said Chase, I said Chase Claypool the other day, like a bell went off in my head because not great at the catch point, but there'll be some really awesome plays in there. The other one was uh, Martavis Bryant. That's the one Renner was using. That's what Renner used, right? So Martavis Bryant at one point made the Steelers offense electric. Yeah. Because they already had Antonio Brown and who else? They had someone else at the time. Mike Wallace? No, it was was post-Wallace. But, like, Martavis Bryant was the three, and he would just catch a 50-yard touchdown once every two games. Emmanuel Sanders? Emmanuel Sanders, probably. No, no, he was in Denver. By then? 2015. Okay. Maybe Bryant was the two. I don't know. But he was making a serious impact on the Steelers' offense. Well, there's a website we could use to check this sort of stuff out. Well, not right now. I'm live. I'm live on the air. Quentin Johnston can make that type of impact for the Chargers, where Keenan Allen, if he's healthy, work in the slot. Mike Williams, if he's healthy. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't have got the Marcus Wheaton. Wheaton was the two? Okay, so Bryant was really I mean, the technically, two. Yeah, Bryant was the two. Bryant was the two, and every time he was hurt, the offense was not nearly as good. Right. So he just he made a big impact, and I think Johnston has some of that. But for Bryant, he wasn't great at everything. He was just vertical threat, and Johnston can be vertical, slant guy, another big-bodied option for Justin Herbert. I Bryant, like it. Uh, Bryant's playing football again right now, right? Isn't he in the XFL? He's in one of the leagues, How's yeah. he doing? I don't know, but, man, he just he played at a different speed, man. When he was good for about a year and a half, yeah, played at a different – he was like Josh Gordon where there was like this year and a half play where they were at a for different the, uh, For the Las Vegas Vipers right now, he's got a 56 grade having caught 14 of the 27 targets. He may have lost it since For 154 yards. It's not going great for Martavis in the XFL at this current. He's averaging at the moment 0.77 yards per right run. It's not great, Bob. I'm glad. You, you look things up really quickly. You know who's averaging a lot more than that? Everyone else? Yes, including Gary Jennings. <laughs> God damn, that guy should have been good. Uh, what are we... Anyway, Martavis Bryant. Quentin and Johnson. More important than Quentin Johnson. 2015 Martavis Bryant. Well, like, so Martavis Bryant was a comp that Renner used. Um, you brought out Chase Claypool the other day. I said, the, like, the other day, is he just uh, Christian Watson? Like, I mean, I would take that. I don't think he is. Because remember, like, remember... He's not that level of explosive. Maybe not. But remember late in the in the process, like, everyone seemed to have this, like, realization that Christian Watson kind of stank at the catch point. You know, all these Packers fans were, like, looking through his tape and be like, you know, this, this like, six-foot-five giant receiver kind of awful with the ball in the air. You're like, yeah, you're, you're going to find that when you go through his tape. That's kind of Quentin Johnston. Like, this giant dude that looks like he should be mossing people every three minutes... Isn't. Does and, it sometimes. And is actually kind of bad at it. But 
He's got amazing straight line speed. He's big. He's fast. Like, if you give him a slant, he can take it to the house. If you give him a hitch, he can turn, take it to the house. He's good at that stuff. And the Chargers can use a bit of that in that offense. Yeah, they just needed some sort of explosiveness. You know, I mentioned on the show, fifth lowest, fifth slowest team, or bottom five slowest team last year, just looking at their skill positions and their top speeds and all that stuff, their average top speeds. So Quentin Johnston adds some explosiveness to the Chargers. This was just an unbelievable run. That's receiver two out of four in a run here. Chris kept mentioning, right, all the tackles, all the corners, all the receivers just came off. At the, at the same time, Zay Flowers at pick 22 goes to the Ravens. They uh, We had seen this a little bit, right, in mocks. Um, so you get the explosive Zay to go with Odell Beckham Jr., uh, Nelson Aguilar, Rashad Bateman. Mm. Starting to come together there in yeah. Baltimore. And, of course, the big news, Lamar Jackson signed his contract. Right. Today. And I said this yesterday. on the – yeah, I said this on the live show some time ago. I said this on the live show that, you know, you were talking about Kansas City as being an amazing landing spot for Zay Flowers as a team that could really, like, use a guy like that more than other teams. I think Baltimore is another great fit for him. Like, they don't need him to be more than he is right now, which I think is probably that slot gadget gimmick player that can do a lot rely on his freakish movement skills and quick twitch ability while OBJ and, you know, Bateman play on the outside and, and Mark Andrews can, carries the bulk of the workload as a receiver, you don't need him to be a lot more than he is, which I think a lot of teams were talking about. Like, when you had people saying this is the number one receiver in the draft, you're going to need him to do a lot at that point. And I don't know if that's going to maximize what he can do, but the Ravens taking him here to just ask him to be himself, that feels like great, a great deal for them. Just a lot of good fits. And again, with receiver fit, the next guy's got more pressure on him, Jordan Addison, going to Minnesota. The first three, Smith and Jigba, Quentin Johnston, Zay Flowers, we can ease them in. Yeah. We can attack just their skill sets, just what they do well, right off the bat. Jordan Addison, going to Minnesota, they might want him to replace Adam Thielen right away just because the depth isn't really there at the receiving core right now. Sure, but even then, I mean, yeah, he'll have to be one notch further up the depth chart than most of these guys, assuming they don't bump K.J. Osborne up one and Addison gets to be the three there as well. But even if he has to be the new Adam Thielen, I mean, Jefferson is getting 180, 200 targets in a year. You need you get 100, you know? You're not – it's a lot, but, you, you know, you don't have to come in here and be – like insane they've already they, Jefferson's gonna get his you know what I mean you get you get the favorable matchups you get the easier looks and you just got to take what's there like Thielen had 107 targets last year and caught 73 passes for 766 yards I don't see a reason he can't do that and I'm telling you Addison ran in the four fives but his game speed's better we've thrown those numbers out there 90th percentile on-field game speed was comparable to Quentin Johnston's yeah. with all the gravity that Justin Jefferson's yeah, yeah. Going to be taken. There's going to be a few deep opportunities for Addison to run away from corners. Was Addison one of those guys that that guy was hammering for the weird ass like 40 times where the back 20 was calculated weirdly or whatever? I don't know. Did you look through that thread? I did, but I don't remember the names that were on it. There was a lot of, there was some weird combine numbers like Julius Brents. Yeah. I think had one of I them. Think Tank the, Dell was one of those guys. Yeah. Where Tank they, Dell, right? The 10 and the 20 everybody that we didn't were talk, match yeah. the last 20. Everybody that we were talking about of like, how do you run this 40 time with that? 10 time some guy is basically yeah. saying that the times are goofed and the back 20 doesn't make any sense mathematically so there's a lot of guys running the four fours who may if you just predicted what their final 20 was based off their 10 and their 20 start they should be in the four threes right but guys that ran in the four fives that should have been in the four fours 
Addison could have been one of those guys too. So he's, he's faster on the field. So Addison goes 23 to Minnesota. That was another one that you loved going in, right, yeah. the, the entire time. Like this is a good fit. Um, so receivers did not come off the board until 20 and then four in a row. And then a lot of them, yeah. And then, uh, as you mentioned, the Giants traded up for Deontay Banks at 24. Uh, Giants needed a corner opposite of Torrey Jackson. Deontay Banks, incredible athlete who I think can learn how to play football better with that athleticism. Yeah. I mean, he's a lot like Christian Gonzalez to me in terms of genuinely special athlete, not as good of a football player as he is an athlete right now. I think he's a better football player than Gonzalez is. I think he does more at the catch point. I think, I think you're he really harsh better. on Gonzalez. Really harsh. Look, all I know is Ben went through his tape and, and didn't like him either. So I, it's all I need. I, I do I, trust I, Ben. Yeah. I don't, look, I don't, I'm not saying he stinks. I'm just saying he's not good right now. And you need, there's quite a jump between where he is and good. I mean, Deontay Banks, I love playing man coverage, what he's going to do with the Giants. Yeah. And I I, I keep mentioning his athleticism because his movement skills are just so pure. Yeah. He ran 4.35, which is fast. But like, there are other guys who ran faster than him that don't have that same feeling when you're watching him. I just think if, like, if his technique, if he tidies up his technique a little bit, different body type than Tariq Woolen and all that stuff, but much like Tariq Woolen, who has that incredible athleticism, tidy up the technique a little bit. And mm-hmm. Deontay Banks, tighter coverage and also the recovery speed. Yeah. Right? We talk about, scouts talk about this all the time. Recovery speed for corners, recovery length for tackles. When things aren't perfect, can you save it? Banks can save it when things aren't perfect. So if you just tidy things up a little bit, could be a really, really good player. He grew on me more and more throughout this process. Yeah. No, I do like him. Um, I, I, I had him above Christian Gonzalez, but I think they're similar players uh, in terms of descriptors, right? They're incredible athletes. They're better athletes than they are players right now. Um, and now that the onus is on the team to try and marry those two. All right. One of the more interesting moves, we're sitting there on the live stream where we're talking about the teams that are on the clock next. The next team was the Jaguars at the time, but the Bills traded up. But it was the Jags, the Cowboys, the Bills, the Bengals, all these teams who had been linked to or could have used tight ends. And the top tight end on our board, Dalton Kincaid, was still there, number 10 player on the PFF draft board. And the Bills went up and got him at pick 25. Bills had been – they'd been talking receiver for a while. But I absolutely love this move. I I know there's risk with first-round tight ends and all that stuff, but it's pick 25. It's the top tight tight end on the board. There's 10 more receivers I think that you can potentially get in there to, to make an impact. The Bills go get Dalton Kincaid, not only to keep him away from Cincinnati and maybe Kansas City in your own, in, you know, the teams that you're competing with in the AFC, but to give Josh Allen another pass game weapon who works the middle of the field and is just a really good football player if he's healthy. Love this. This is – it's another one of those picks where I think Bills fans generally, at least judging by my mentions on Twitter, which is not necessarily the, uh, the most accurate barometer – they don't love it because I think they're looking at this in the classic, like, you know. He's not a receiver? No, that he's, well, yeah, number one, he's not a wide receiver. Number two, we have Dawson Knox. It's redundant. It's not a need. You have to draft needs. Like, it's just, for, stop. Forget about it. He's maybe the best pass catcher in this draft. Like, forget position. He might be the best pass catcher in this draft. And his upside is special. I love what Dalton Kincaid can do as a pass catcher. And I, I mean, it doesn't matter who else you have on the team if he's able to hit that ceiling. Like, that's worth taking wherever the hell you are. 
Yeah, so Dalton Kincaid is he's there for the foreseeable future, right? They 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 locked him up, thirteen million a year over four years. So Dawson Knox is there. Dawson Knox turned into a pretty good player. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to play tight two tight ends. You're yeah. allowed to. In fact, it's encouraged. Teams will do that 30, 40, 50 percent of their offensive snaps. So that's okay. It's called creating mismatches mm-hmm. with Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid and Stephon Diggs. It takes pressure off Gabe Davis. We want less pressure on Gabe Davis on the outside because he didn't handle the number two role. He's a better number three. Deontay Hardy as a deep threat. And there's still Khalil Shakir. And there's still room for more. There's still room for more in Buffalo. So I like this a lot. This is a middle-of-the-field pass catcher, but who, by the way, is probably a better receiver than Dawson Knox. He will be a better receiver. I think so. Maybe not right off the bat. Tight ends do take a little bit of time, but I think it's a good short and long-term play. You ease him in as a mismatch creator. He'll take over from Dawson Knox as the top tight end in about year three. That's fine. That's good team building, I think, by the Bills, even with a first-round risk when it comes to tight ends. Yeah, I, I, I really think people are underselling the ceiling for Dalton Kincaid. I, I think he's so good at a couple of things that are really, really high-level receiver stuff. Like, there was a play where he was running down the seam and gets blasted in the back by a safety before the ball arrived, right? And somehow caught it anyway. Like, getting hit in the back before a ball arrived is usually pretty conducive to breaking the pass up. Not legally, but you're not catching it most of the time that happens. And he just snags it like it was nothing. Um, and that's before you get to what he can do in zones and running. Like, he's got speed to scare linebackers running down the field. I, I just think that's a devastating weapon for one of the best offenses in the NFL already. I love that pick. If he's legitimately stretching the seam and Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis on the outside, you are creating space yeah. for your offense. Also, like, do we not believe that the people in Buffalo are capable of, like, maximizing, you know, that group of playmakers? Just because you're like, oh, this isn't a conventional number two wide receiver. That's a failure. He also might just be your slot receiver. Yeah. He right. might just be your, your, your number three wide receiver. But, like, start looking at what they have now. You know, Stephon Diggs, um, Gabriel Davis, Deontay Hardy, uh, Dalton Kincaid, Dawson Knox, the running backs. Like, this is a good collection of receivers. It might not be, you know, do I have my perfect prototype X flanker, slot receiver, tight end. Like, it's not like that. But just because it isn't doesn't mean it isn't really good. All right, so I like this pick by the Bills because I love I love Kincaid. I think he's a great player. Uh, Mozzie Smith goes 26 to Dallas. Defensive tackle. Uh, different type of player than everybody else, right? I mean, he's more of the pure pure nose tackle. He's different from Jalen Carter, Kalijah Kansi, and Brian Brzee. Mozzie Smith might – I mean, there's a couple nose tackles later in the draft who could be some value – you know, find some value there. But Mozzie Smith – uh, freak athlete, number one on Bruce Feldman's freaks list coming into the season. He's got some of the pure two-gap reps and holds the point and just something Dallas has needed for a while. We thought maybe Jordan Davis last year, if he was going to fall, we've linked Dallas to a def- defensive tackles for years now, and they finally did it in the first round. Yeah, it, it makes sense for them, I think. For They were the best fit, again, for a guy like Mozzie Smith, a team that's desperately needed an in interior, like a, particularly a run-defending beefy like guy holds up against double teams you know in the middle um mozzie smith like they hadn't nobody i think last year that had a 62 or higher pff run defense grade amongst those interior guys um they they've got all of a sudden a diggy zua is giving some some pass rush amongst those interior guys but they don't have the run defense mozzie smith comes in should help them to do that pretty immediately i like that pick as well 
All right, so solid pick by Dallas, and then Jacksonville finally up on the clock at 27. They go Oklahoma tackle Anton Harrison. Uh, Cam Robinson got hit with a suspension this week. We don't know how long it is for performance enhancers. There is a three-tier system now for performance-enhancing suspensions. It used to just be four. Really? Now it can be anywhere from two to four to eight, I believe, depending on if it's like pure... You injected a needle versus like, oh, I accidentally... Obtained supplement. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, GNC did it. I didn't you know, that type of thing. I never took anything from GNC because I was afraid of testing positive. Yeah? Because you couldn't. You had certified supplements that you could use. And mm -hmm. if you tested positive for that, it's the company's fault. They signed a contract. Really? Yeah. So baseball had EAS products, which I don't even think exist anymore. Right. And the NFL had it for a while, too. They would give you this list of approved products. Yeah. Creatines and muscle recoveries and proteins and all that stuff. And as long as you used what was on the list... You were safe. Anytime you go to GNC and it's like this, if this hasn't been FDA approved and all that yeah. stuff, you're on your own because you don't know what they're putting in that stuff. I knew and they you don't have a leg to stand on. No, I, I mean I knew they had like a list of sort of certified, you know, approved supplements, or whatever. But I still thought there was like a zero. To, uh, I uh, what's the strict liability thing of you know, you still are suspended because the thing is in your body. But at least now. You don't get like the full whack because we understand that like it came from a tainted supplement from this thing that was supposed to be okay. I'm pretty but, like, sure you, you were don't get okay. off. I'm pretty. Well, I mean, baseball. I think you did. Yeah, you were well, okay. Baseball's always had a flexible, uh, you know. Yeah, they let let us get away with stuff. <laughs> yeah. We were. I don't even want to get. So it's it. always had a flexible steroid policy. We were in a meeting one time. They're like, "Yeah, we're gonna start. Uh, we're gonna start drug testing in the uh, in the Le Dominican in in Mexico during the off season." Yeah. This year, and we were like, "You're not doing that already." Right. You come to our house in the off season all the time. You haven't been doing that everywhere. There was a um, new rule that just started. Somebody showed some contracts from the fights in Pride, the the MMA uh, league, whatever the promotion in Japan back in the day that was sort of like a rival to the UFC, um, where they were like actively stipulating. Like almost you have to take PEDs in the contract. It was like, well, you know, everything is good. Don't worry about it. They were like, Makes all, for better those, fights. all those guys were juiced to the absolute gills during pride fights. And then it was, it was better. Makes for better fights. So Anton Harrison, good pass protector, not as great in the run game, kind of the opposite of, um, no, I'm not opposite, similar to Darnell Wright um, as far as style goes, but not as big. I think, I think Harrison can step in, compete at right tackle with Walker Little. Maybe he has to play left tackle right away as Cam Robinson yeah. suspended. He's a really good zone offensive tackle, I yeah. think. Like that, that's his absolute um, bread and butter. I think he's going to be good at that. Yeah, I think, I think that's good value back into the first. The big guys were going early. He's very smooth getting to the second level, all that stuff. He gets into position in the run game. I think that's what you're seeing yeah. and from, a, from a zone blocking standpoint. Reminded me of Charles Leno, which I don't know if people – Bears and people Commanders hate that, fans but it's not a bad hate thing. That. Yeah. But if you had Charles Leno's career of like good pass blocking grades year over year as a zone blocking tackle, that's good. I think Harrison could be that type of guy. I also don't think it's like there's not much of a difference, in my opinion, between Harrison and those guys at the top, like the Paris Johnsons, the Broderick Joneses. So with the run that's already been, I, that's a good move to still get him. Yeah, Jacksonville, it's not as flashy as like the Cardinals or whatever, but Jacksonville traded down twice, picked up yeah. a few extra picks, and still got a pretty good player. So I like what the Jags did. Uh, 28 was the Bengals taking Miles Murphy, the edge defender out of Clemson. Uh, I like this value too. Number three edge on the PFF draft board, number 17 on the PFF draft board. Miles Murphy 
his you know his his stock was all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. Top ten, twenty eight where he is. I thought it was a good pick for the Bengals. Yeah, this is kind of where I thought he would go. And then over the last couple of weeks, I kept looking at the consensus board where he was still like 12, 15. I'm like, eh, maybe he's going to go way higher than I was expecting him to go. But like, yeah, this is actually where he belongs, really. So he doesn't project. He doesn't look like an elite pass rusher. I think he's got the tools. He's definitely a compress-the-pocket type. I don't know if he'll ever become a, a well-above-average pass rusher, but he's a very good run defender. I think his. I he, don't know what the best comp is for that right off the bat, but he reminds me a lot of R- Rashawn Gary, though. Where you're like, he. You could see it coming together. Yeah, well, you could see it, but you could also see why everybody loved it. Like he looked like the guy that should be dominating and just wasn't. Like it's all the things are there for that guy to be absolutely wrecking house in college, and you know that's the reason everyone's going to be talking about him as this elite guy at the next level and blah blah blah. And, you know, Gary was drafted high, and we were like, ooh, that's pretty rich given his career. And then he, it took him a couple of years, but he got there. I feel that way with Miles Murphy. I don't know if he's going to get there, but, like, it's the same thing where it isn't there right now. Sometimes it is, and when it is, it looks amazing. And I think all the tools are there for it to come together and him to be Rashawn Gary in a couple of years. Um, but I, I guess I don't know if you – you look at Gary and you go, well, it just happened, so it's going to happen again. Or you look at Gary and you say, well, there was a reason we were scared of that when he first came out. Like, where should you be in the middle of those two things? Um, as far as the Bengals go, we've talked a lot about Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins all have to be paid. Getting, getting younger at positions that normally get paid, like edge defender, makes a lot of sense for the Bengals from a team-building standpoint. Uh, Brian Brzee, you might be able to say some of the same stuff about Brian Brzee. He goes number 29 to the Saints. And another guy under 1,000 snaps in his career. Excellent pass rusher on the interior. Even more potential, I think, as a pass rusher. Former five-star injuries and all sorts of stuff, keeping him off the field. But the Saints type of player, they needed to replenish anything on the defensive line, interior or edge, and kind of makes sense for them. Yeah, He can move around the line, too. I've seen him you know, rush pretty well against edges if he needs or on the edge if he needs to. I like Brzee as a pass rusher. Run defense is suspect, though. Yes. Um, Plays no, I, high, he's tall. Right. I think Brzee's a good player. And I think another guy that, that should be a better NFL player than he was in college, I think he had to work, you know, the, he dealt with a kidney infection. He dealt with some personal tragedy. His sister died. Um, like, he's been through a lot during his college career that I, I think can explain some of why he didn't, you know, kick on and develop and become the, the a former five-star, like elite prospect, like elite recruit. Why didn't he become that guy all the way through his college career? I think there's reasons for it that potentially, you know, go away effectively at the NFL level. Now you're dealing with a with the guy that can realize his full potential. Then the Eagles come back and get Nolan Smith Ugh. at pick thirty because we went on a run. We said Nolan Smith is that a is he a Bengal? Is he a yeah. Saint? He's still there. And, the, and then we said no way. The Eagles are going to get another Georgia player. And they did. Number 13 on the PFF draft board. Eagles take him at 30. My number two edge. Number two edge on the PFF draft board. Love Nolan Smith. I know he's 238 pounds. Still love him, though. Yes. He could play the run at that size. He's really good. And I think, again, (laughs) all these teams, the perfect landing spot for him. He goes to a team that likes rotating defensive linemen, that isn't going to ask him to double his workload, that can let him do exactly what he did in college at the same kind of workload. And by the way, has an exact comp 
for how to play the game at that spot at 240 pounds. Hassan Reddick's already there. He just did it. He just spent the last few years of his career figuring out how to get it done at that size and, you know, play as a true edge rusher in the NFL after the Cardinals tried to make him into an off-the-ball linebacker. Like, I do think that there's value in bringing a weird outlier type of body or size or shape or whatever and pairing him with a dude that's the same, right? And it's saying, like, let that guy help him along. Let that guy do some of the coaching work and say, hey, you know, they're going to teach you how to do this, blah, blah, blah. But you and I, we don't do that because we're different. We're, we're outliers. We're going to have to, here's how you do it, right? There's got to be some of that to it. So Nolan Smith landing in that Eagles defensive line rotation when they already have uh, Jalen Carter in this draft, when they got Jordan Davis a year ago, when they've already got the holdovers from that defensive line that are already there, it's just unfair. How is this happening? What a fascinating group the Eagles have, right? At defensive tackle, the two young Georgia players, Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, to go with the old Eagle, Fletcher Cox. Yeah. The young edge defenders, Nolan Smith, or edge defender Nolan Smith, Hassan Reddick coming in, but the old Eagle, Brandon Graham. And their other, the other guy they developed, Josh Sweat and Derek Barnett, just loaded. They, they do have a point making sure. So what the Eagles want to do, and this is why, why drafting valuable positions is important. It keeps the cost low at places that you have to pay. You have to pay these guys eventually, so it just keeps the cost low. It's easy to bring in cheap linebackers and easy to – everybody wanted to give Bijan Robinson to the Eagles. Rashad Penny, if he stays healthy – could produce at the same level as B. John Robinson next year, but at $1.35 million. It's just for one year, but you can do that every year. You can get running backs. You can get linebackers. You can't always find edges cheap. You can't find defensive tackles cheap. So you keep bringing them in on rookie contracts, and the Eagles get that, and then you build everything else around them. Yep. So they did it again. Yeah, love it. And then wrapping it up, Chiefs take Felix and Odike Azama. Second one I called. Edge defender out of Kansas State. You did hit this. Yeah, you got it. Nailed it. it. Um, Seventh edge defender off the board. Was he really? Yeah. Number seven. So there were five. I think that's where I had him. Did I have him seven on my list? The consensus board I was using had five going in the first round. And then Will McDonald at 33. And Onodike Azama at 46. He was my number six edge rusher. Yeah. Both of our top sevens, because we started a – both of our top sevens went. And then Keon White's our eight. Yes. Thule's our nine. Yep. So, yeah, mm. our top seven edge rushers all came off the board here. Perfect. Good work. Perfect. Um, so, Anadike Azama, get him in there opposite George Karloftis. Another, man, he's on there with Char- uh, Charles Amenehu. They've got some body types yeah. that you have to block. I like that. I, I think that's a really good pick for them. Um, you know, he, uh, the, the note I brought up on the show, he might have the biggest variety of ways to win of any of these edge rushers. Not that he's as good at them as, you know, some of these other guys, almost universally across the board. In fact, there's somebody better at at each one of his moves than he is. But I don't think anybody has the sheer breadth of moves that he has. Like, he has such a variety, and he's an intelligent plan with them. He knows why to use one, not just, like, randomly plucking them out of the bag. He's sort of working through a system to attack these guys, and he's, he's targeting weaknesses and using the moves when he needs to move them. So he's just a really smart edge rusher, and that is probably a very underrated thing. Like, you hear a lot, 
people ask, you know, how they do, how they target a certain player. Like, was it Jason Pierre-Paul said one time that, like, he didn't even know who David Bakhtiari was, like something like that. This is a dude that's going in there and isn't just, like, can't just tell you who he is, but, like, is going to tell you what his, like, chain of moves is going to be to work him over in a game, right? That's, there's got to be value to that. So the, the Chiefs defensive line now, of course, you got Chris Jones, right? <clears throat> a couple years ago, they were so thin on the defensive line that Chris Jones had to play edge, which he does. When he does that five times a game, it's a weapon. When he does that for the full game, you're losing him. Yeah. So Chris Jones doesn't have to do that anymore. But now you have Charles Amenehu who comes in. He can play multiple gaps. My Tyree Wilson comp, he's super long, tough to block. George Karloftis, your power rusher. Anudike Azama, your Gumby, smart rusher like you said. They have Danny Shelton on the roster, Do which is really? fun, 350 pounds. Joshua Kando is this really long dude. All, all I'm saying is a lot of different body types. Most Some of these guys won't even play, but mm. they're top eight. They're, they're going to have an eight deep on that defensive line, which isn't really there with the Eagles, but you'll, you'll feel pretty good about it, yeah. right? And that, so this is a change in Kansas City over the last couple of years, so – Really like what they're doing up front on their defense. No, I think that was a good move. Um, all right, let's round it up. What are your favorite moves from this first round? Um, Cardinals maneuvering the board. Yeah. Um, everything that the – yeah, there we go. Cardinals wheeling and dealing. The two Philly picks. I mean, I, I started listing these as I went. I said Jalen Carter to Philly. Nolan Smith to Philly. Um, the two Seahawks picks, Devin and Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't think, I don't think it could have gone better for Seattle. They got CB1 and wide receiver one. They got the best corner and the best receiver. Huge win for Seattle. And I like the move by Buffalo. They traded up to get Dalton Kincaid, gave up the fourth. But I think that could pay off for the Bills. Yeah, I had a lot of the same ones as you did. But once I saw your list go in, I edited mine a little bit. Um, so JSN to Seattle, I still think, is, is one of the best ones. I love that fit. We've been giving them Will Addison a lot, but it was under the assumption that JSN was gone. Like, the idea that he actually slipped that far to them is, is a jackpot deal for them. Um, I love Will McDonald to the Jets. I think that's a team that has the space for him to really just kick back and uh, cut loose as a pass rusher. And if he does that, he could be absolutely dominant for them. Addison to Minnesota, I love that fit as well. He's my wide receiver one in this draft. He, he still is. I think he's the best receiver available. And for Minnesota to get him at 23, I think is great, even if they try to trade out of that spot. Paris Johnson Jr. to Arizona. When you consider they traded down, they might have taken the guy at three if they hadn't been able to do that. They end up getting him at six and picking up a future first-round pick. That is great. And then, God, Philadelphia coming out of this draft with Jalen Carter is crazy. I mean, again, you can't overstate it too many times. He's probably the number one talent in this draft. And Philadelphia was able to get him at number nine, and all it cost him was, what, a fourth-round pick to jump up one spot? Yeah, that's that's disgusting. So realistically, if if the if the thing that happens with Jalen Carter, which I which I said the other day, a team that could have picked him, we we're in a meeting when it all broke. Yeah, team that could have picked him in the top ten and didn't know. And they didn't know. They're like, well, this is news, right? He would have been the Arizona sitting there at three. The haul that they got for the Texans to trade up for Will Anderson, another team may have wanted to do the same thing for Jalen Carter. That's how good he was. That's how good he is. So if the off-field stuff never happened, we're talking about Jalen Carter being a potential pick at three, him versus Will Anderson as the top guy off the board, but instead he falls to nine. And the, the point you keep making, too, is guys who came out of a rotation in Georgia get to still be in a rotation in Philadelphia yeah. if needed. 
just like Jordan Davis, right? So now they're just loaded up at these positions where they can all play to their strengths. Um, okay, a couple more things before we wrap this up and, for the love of God, go home. Um, you where, still have to write. I know. Where does Will Levis get drafted? Raiders? I mean, we're, but you, are we still working on the basis that he's getting drafted, like, fairly soon in the second round? Is he just going to be a third rounder? That's now? what I'm saying. Or are we reaching the point of last year where it's like these guys are going to tumble? The Rams are at 36. I know they're in the wow. Their needs list is a massive it's, on the it's, tracker. It's the roster, and we didn't put quarterback on there. We know <laughs> that they're looking for a backup quarterback, but they probably looked at like Clayton Toon, yeah. and Jake Hayner as the actual backup quarterbacks. They probably weren't looking at Will Levis, right? They're probably calling Liam right now, like, hey man, you know. Will might be our backup. Let us, what do you think? I mean, they're, they're a fascinating team because they do have that, that pipeline of Liam was his offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, who then went back to the Rams. Um, but he was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky when Levis had his best season in 2021. So nobody is going to have a better line of information on Levis than the Rams. Now, does that mean they want him or does that mean they're like, at the front of the queue of saying we don't want to touch this guy. So the Rams are at 36. The Raiders are at 38. Look, if Seattle, if they want to bring a quarterback in to develop, but they got Drew Locke still there. I mean, you you can also argue that at this point he's already just a backup for anybody, at which point, like, the the list of suitors potentially opens up. So, yeah. I mean, Atlanta at 44. Do you think Will Levis can come in and compete with Desmond Ritter? So everywhere else he's probably a backup. Yeah. He can come in and compete with Desmond Ritter. Sure. Falcons at 44. Yeah. Could be it. Um, Packers at 42. It could be a backup for Jordan Love. Yeah, I mean, as a backup, pretty much anything is on the table, I think. But, but then, then it becomes... With, where could he go and compete? Washington at 47. He can go in and compete with Sam Howell. Yeah. They've already passed on him. Falcons already passed on him. Could take him at 44. Not that that matters. I mean, Geno Smith went in the second round. That was the third pick for the Jets that year. Fourth pick for the Jets, I think. Did they have three first-rounders, two for whatever they had. D. Milner and Sheldon Richardson. Yeah. And then they got Geno Smith. Uh-huh. So <clears throat> there's a couple places where he could still compete as a starter. The Bucks again, at 50. He can <laughs> go in and compete with Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all so of a sudden. So there's still a few places. Yeah. Um, the, if you're an absolute sicko at 2.08 in the morning, there's a day two mock draft up on pff.com right now. You can read it, figure oh, out. Where do we put Will Levis? That's a good question. Let's I should have looked out. at that. John Costco's mock draft, where's he got? Uh, oh, wait, he's got Will Loves going to Detroit at number 34. Well, that's not going to happen. I don't I don't Hate on, on me. Don't. I'm not going to predict Costco what the Lions it. are going to do anymore. So go read that if you want. Um, I'll be writing an article shortly after we get off this, the air right here. Uh, we've done favorite picks. We've done where we think Loves is going to be. What else we got to wrap up before we're out of here? I think that's it. Yeah? We went through this, each this done? pick. Um. We'll have a lot of, we have a lot of people. I love the night of the draft when thousands of people are just sitting here watching with us live on YouTube. We appreciate all of you for staying up and being sickos like us. So obviously Levis falling out of the first round is the biggest sort of surprise of the remaining players. Who's next? Like who's your set, who's your, the next biggest surprise after Levis? I thought it was interesting that Chris over here, the players that you and I like that we said were definite first rounders, Joey Porter Jr., Brian Branch, yeah. maybe even Dewan Jones. And he didn't like – he was not surprised. Chris didn't like any of those guys. 
that didn't go in the first. The branch one, I, I'm very surprised. And I, Mayer, too. I mean, I know you were lower on Mayer, but I, Michael Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame, I thought would go in the first. Uh, so did I, but I understand why he wouldn't. I, I'm surprised that Joey Porter didn't go in the first, but I, I kind of understand that a little bit as well. Brian Branch is the one that I'm really shocked by, that I, I can't honestly see. Like, all the stuff Chris was saying about him, I, I, I almost saw the opposite on tape. Like, I thought he was outstanding in man coverage for a safety. Yeah. Like, that's why he's being talked about as a slot corner, not as a, a safety that can play some man coverage. But that's why you don't take slot corners in the first round. But is he, like, is he a slot corner? I mean, he's a... No, I mean, he... he he plays a Tyron Matthew position. Yeah. Where he's a safety early downs slot corner right. after that. You could take that in the first. Which strikes me as incredibly valuable right I now. I think it's because the workouts weren't special. But they weren't terrible either. I, I agree with you. I think that's his biggest problem, but they weren't, a, it was not like they were awful. 40 was just okay. The short area stuff was just okay. I mean, he essentially had Jordan Addison's workout, except he's, you know, a normal sized. I know it. And I know I say this about receiver and corner and all that stuff, but safety is just a weird position because you put all these people into the safety bucket, but some are free, some are strong, some are strong in nickel, like like we're saying, branches. And some teams are going to have these. And every now and again, Anthony Johnston, Johnson Jr. from Iowa State jumps off the tape and you think he's the best safety, like Chris does. Safety is this weird position where it is really tough to nail down. Like the order of the corners is always going to be off and the receivers yeah. and all that stuff, but safety could be so wild because just, they're all in different positions. He just seems so good at so many things to me that I can't, even if you're like, even if you're looking at him and saying, he is this weird hybrid tweener, what do we do with that, blah, blah, blah. When you sort of break it down as to what he's good at and what he's not, like he's so good at everything, just figure it out. Take him and then f like just figure it out. I think, I mean, I said before. Spend I'm not, training camp working out where you're going to slot him in the defense, but get him in there. I think Branch will be a top 10 most valuable non-QB in this draft. I agree. So somebody gets a steal yeah. in round two. All right. Let's, let's end this. And let's let our producers go home. Yeah. And and let me, everybody go home. Let's let me start writing. You can start writing. Uh -huh. Let's then, let our fans go home. Then go home. We appreciate everybody who's been with us all night. We're back again tomorrow night. Not the podcast, unless you want to do. Well, why don't you ask people? Do, should we do a post-day two podcast? If we get a sufficient swell, a groundswell of support, maybe I can be pressured into if staying we're up. Gonna go, we're going to be going from 6 to midnight tomorrow night. Oh, God. For rounds two and three. Should we go live right after day two tomorrow night? If you guys will join us, we'll do it. Let us know in the comments. Hit the thumbs up on the way out. Make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell so you know when we go live tomorrow night. We're going to be live on YouTube and on FUBU and on Yahoo tomorrow night for day two. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. I think they're laughing us off. I don't know. Guys, we're staying here till three tomorrow night. We're all doing it. Let's go home. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. <laughs>